1: This all right everybody welcome to the GG TMC. it's fun to say that again after a long time of uh for those of you who haven't listened for me not being on the show this is sammy and uh, my good pal todd is with me hi so we are here to record a show that uh we love doing <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it's uh so again i just want to go back if this is your first episode then you know you don't have this long-standing relationship with us but uh Uh, But if this is not, if you've been with us for all these episodes, you know that uh, that these last year, especially the last year, but the last year and a half or so have been really rough on Will and I as far as attendance goes on the show. Uh, Just a lot of uh, lifelike things going on. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm not at liberty to discuss what Will's got going on right now. He's got his own thing going on, and uh, I wouldn't feel comfortable talking about that. I'd let him talk about that, but... Uh, needless to say, he is uh in a heavy lawsuit with uh Burger King over the home of the Whopper. That was something he used to have uh, on his belt. Yes. So uh, that that is going on. But uh outside of that he does have some other things going on. And of course myself, uh <laughs> so uh, you know, just uh just just in the you know in the realm of good faith of talking to the audience that listens to the show, and there's a lot of you still, which I appreciate. Um mm-hmm. I changed positions again in my job, and I, I, when I did that
2: i 'm not touching that comment by the way you 'll <laughs> <Yeah>. notice yeah <laughs> yeah,
1: when I did that, and boy, was this position unfavorable <laughs> for me <laughs> uh, the uh, I went from uh, working four days a week uh, right back up to working every day of the week, uh, and uh, that happened for like the last month and a half, so this past week i've been on vacation. And uh, actually, I should say two months in a row. About two months in a row, I think I worked every day, except maybe Thanksgiving Day and Christmas Day. And uh, boy, that was brutal. Don't, do not recommend, <laughs> uh, do not like, uh, do not heart, whatever you want to say in the modern uh, nomenclature.
2: Two out of ten would not <laughs> yeah, fuck. Yeah,
1: exactly. To, uh, that, that is not a That is not a way to live your life, let me tell you. Uh-uh. No. Um, and, uh, but I didn't have a choice. So, I'm not I'm not here to complain. My job is my job, and it is what it is, but it has been rough. And, um, I would, like I said, would not recommend, uh, but hopefully that's in my past, I hope, and uh, we can move on from that. Um, but here I am, finally, back on the show that uh, I helped create and that I love doing, and uh, it's good to be here, and we're going to talk about some movies. We're going to talk about some films from uh, Diabolic DVD this week, mm-hmm. uh, our show sponsor, so... Uh, we're going to be talking about The Changeling from 1980, mm-hmm. uh, directed by Peter, I think it's Medek. Uh,
2: Medek, I believe. Medek? I Mad- believe so. Medek,
1: Medek. You say tomato, I say tomato. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Sudden Fury from 1975 with another interesting name, Brian Damood. Mm-hmm.
2: I'm in Demood to talk about Sudden Fury today. <laughs> or is it Damood A? <laughs> I don't know. He's Canadian. <laughs> uh, that's true, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. i discounted that portion of it could be
1: nothing over the e though so you know. <laughs>
2: Uh
1: yes so that is what we are talking about today one of these i wanted to talk about for a long time actually the changeling i've been wanting to talk about that for a long time so i know uh, i think severin films put out a really nice uh, blu-ray of it um uh we'll talk about that in a little bit uh let's get into what we've been watching mm-hmm. totter what have you been watching
2: all righty. Uh, let's see. I got finally watched uh, Fellini's Satyricon, and um, wow, this thing is absolutely stunning to look at. <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: Um, and that's unfortunately also really about it uh, as far as what I got out of it. Um, I just felt it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is just weird for the sake of weird. Uh, I felt a lot of the time in there. Uh, I mean, but it's, it's real saving grace is the, the, uh, the technical aspects, the production value. It's just the scale of this thing uh, is just off the, it's like one step below uh, intolerance. Um, mm. So, I mean, yeah, if you haven't seen it, just see it for the visuals alone. Because uh, it is really as, uh, as bizarre as people have always described it um and some people would get a little bit more out of that than uh, than other folks. Uh, I was willing to go along with it because I I'm a big Fellini fan not quite as much as uh Will is but pretty pretty big. Um but yeah, I mean like, a, some, like a fever dream. Uh Fellini yeah, fever dream, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really really is. And yeah. I mean just the faces in this thing. Uh there's, you know, there's that constant he uses this constant um device of uh, just random characters staring right into the camera. Uh, and I'm sure there's some sort of uh, meaning in that that I haven't deciphered as yet. But then again, <laughs> these not. days when I watch movies, I'm so fucking exhausted. I'm lucky if I make it all the way through them uh, without passing out.
1: Yeah, Maybe not when it comes to Fellini, though. I mean, sometimes I think Fellini... So he kinda, a
2: cigar is just a cigar?
1: Yeah, yeah. So he, for him, he stands outside of most Italian filmmakers to me because... Uh, I mean, he really is, I mean, you know, you hear the term Kubrick-esque and Fellini-esque. I mean, he really is one of those filmmakers, right? And his movies kind of stand outside the realm of regular cinema to me. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: And, uh, you know, sometimes with him, I think, yeah, a cigar is a cigar. (laughs) I really do think that. I mean, it's just like, hey, you know, I really like looking at this buxom lady washing dishes. Yeah, and I'm yeah, gonna, well, he I, likes that sort of thing. Yeah, he does. He loves that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Almost uh, as
2: much as uh, as Jodorowsky. Mm. Yes. Mm. yes, yes, yes. So, yeah, I caught that one. And uh, like I said, I liked it a lot. Um, I would probably need to rewatch it to try and get a little more out of it. If, like with, like we uh, said, if there is anything to be gotten. Yeah, that's the one
1: with George Eastman in it, I believe. Yeah.
2: Yes, he is. He plays the Minotaur, yeah, he, I do believe. He is the Minotaur. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, went from that to summer of 84 and it's not that great. Um, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I know about this.
2: It's, uh, it's another one of these kind of eighties nostalgia horror movie deals. Um, and it plays out, uh, it's pretty much rear window, uh, set in the eighties. Mm. The rear window meets the Goonies more or less. Um, oh. It's, uh, yeah, it just kind of plods along and then it has a pretty interesting ending. The problem is it doesn't feel like it belongs on this film whatsoever. (laughs) Uh, so, I mean, I would give it, you know, credit for, for having the stones to, you know, stick it out with that. But at the same time, it really doesn't save the, uh, the hour and some odd minutes before it hits. Uh, you know, that just kind of really doesn't move all that much or do all that much for me. Uh, and, you know, the character's not exactly really all that interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just loaded with cliches. But, like, for the sake of cliche, rather than, you know, trying to do anything with it, uh, I think was probably um, probably one of my bigger gripes uh, with the whole experience. So. There was that uh and I caught Incredibles 2 and I liked it a lot and a, yeah uh, I like the Incredibles movies. I like them tons. Uh I like this one slightly less than the first one.
1: Yeah, I'm saying.
2: Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean it's visually fantastic. It's funny. Uh you know, it moves along very well paced. You get uh a little bit more of Edna, who, as we all know, is the real star of the movies. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you get uh, you get Holly Hunter's uh, Elastigirl, uh, you know, kind of being in the spotlight there, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, nice, yeah. Little, uh, nice little, nice tw- little, um, you know, turn on the uh, on the first ones, you know, focus on Mister Incredible. And I'd be very interested to see if when they do the third one, the focus isn't on the kids like entirely, like kind of like this one was, kind of like you know, they're just kind of. Uh, Turn the spotlight a little bit in each movie. Uh, I think that would be a nice way to do it. And I think Brad Bird is is fully capable, too. Yeah, I wonder
1: if something that would go outside of the Disney realm a little bit, but I wonder if you would actually see any progression. Like maybe Dash would be um, going through puberty. And like, yeah. you know, a would be in college and then, you know, you would go from there and, yeah. and, and obviously the baby would be a little older and stuff. So,
2: well, I almost feel like that's the way it would have to be because we've, we've lived with them enough now as kids that in order for them to really, uh, you know, become the focus, they would have to mature in some way. Um, I mean that's just off the top of my head. You know, nobody's gonna nobody's gonna pay me to write this thing. Uh, so let's just <laughs> They should though. They should, they I, should. Could, I could I wish all I want, you know, like uh, like Burgess Barrett has said, you know, put your wishes in one hand and crap in the other to yeah. see which one gets filled first.
1: Considering our conversation before the show started, I can imagine me and you working on a very interesting screenplay.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh, <laughs> involving some slu- oh, involving, Lordy.
2: involving some sluice. <laughs> like what excuse me <laughs> wait i gotta start writing this down uh so that's where <laughs> we're at with that uh and then i caught uh the limehouse golem uh 2016 um it's a british film it is a period piece and it is a serial killer film um it stars bill nighy and uh Olivia Cook being the uh, the two leads, um, I uh, I really wanted to like this a lot more than I did. Mm. Uh, it looks fantastic. Uh, it does have some strong performances in it, uh, but everything else about it is just flat, 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 flat. Um, the The script is just so by the numbers. I mean, you you're sitting there, even if you didn't want to guess the, uh, who the, the murderer is, you, it, it, you know, it, uh, within about the first 20 minutes. Yikes. Um, it's one, it's, it, it's that poorly, you know, uh, structured and, uh, and written. Uh, but like I said, it does have some good performances. It does look really good. Um, and you know, that's all I could really say to recommend it to anybody. Uh, of course, some people you know, get a little bit more out of it than me, and that's great, wonderful. And then finally, I caught up with uh, Monty Hellman's The Shooting, and loved it. Um, Warren Oates, Jack Nicholson, Millie Perkins, uh, you know, it's a fantastic little Western. You could tell uh, that Monty Hellman knows how to work in a super tight budget. Uh, and he does it here it's you know atmospheric uh dreamlike uh, the characters that show up into the life of uh, Warren Oates and his buddy are you know mythic uh in certain ways as hellman likes to do uh or at least most of the hellman that i've seen um and yeah it's just it's fantastic it does it did kind of bogged down a little bit in the last third when they're just kind of wandering through the desert, but it's also to a point, uh, you know, it's also making a, a certain point, uh, with that, uh, the way that it's, it's carried out. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and then of course you get that, you know, a nice little twist at the end, which is, uh, which is great. Uh, I, I'm not going to even remotely, come close to giving it away but uh, yeah, yeah well worth it uh and i'm looking forward to that this is on a criterion with um i think riding the whirlwind
1: yeah ride the whirlwind yeah, that's yeah. one.
2: and uh yeah i'm looking forward to that one too uh so yeah originally i was just like i don't know that i want to watch this i don't know that i want to watch this but i'm like well it's sitting next on the to watch pile so guess what it's getting watched so right. i didn't i'm really i'm really really happy that i did it so we have our to watch piles Oh my God. Yeah. My, to watch piles to my, to read piles. It's disgusting. Oh yeah. Mine is too. Uh, um, but yeah, that, no man, that's all that I watched.
1: Oh, uh, well that's good. I mean, the shooting, I like the shooting. I think that one, uh, that might warrant some conversation sometime on the show maybe.
2: Uh, absolutely. I'd be down for it.
1: Yeah. That'd be a good one. Actually. Maybe to pair those two wouldn't be a bad idea someday
2: mm-hmm.
1: because, uh, there is some interesting conversation to be had there, but yeah, I agree. It's, uh, it's unlike most Westerns you will ever see
2: uh oh yeah
1: yeah unique so and again monty hellman one of the as we all know one of the unsung heroes of uh 70s cinema and late 60s cinema but uh, Mm -hmm. maybe not anymore you know i used to say that but back that was back when he was known people would bring him up as oh yeah but he didn't he help produce reservoir dogs like well yeah he did but he also did quite a bit before that
2: uh okay (laughs) what
1: are two things yeah <laughs> uh i watched a few things over the last month and a half uh not a whole lot uh watched probably more in the last like three or four days than i have in the last two months but uh that's the way it goes um i watched a movie called i think we're alone now i think it's got peter dinklage and uh oh, okay all right l fanning maybe oh mm-hmm. man okay anyway <laughs> oh man my memory anymore uh it, it wasn't bad um uh, I'm always attracted to characters who live in solitude because I'm a bit of a solitary man myself. Uh, he's a he works he, he kind of some kind of mystery disease has uh had plagued the earth and and there's some development stuff. Uh, the film is I uh, I think I like the movie, but I think the biggest problem I have with it is I don't think it looks very good. It looks really uh it looks really rough to me and okay. uh it really
2: well in, in 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 what way like from a from a just from a te- uh, just
1: from a technical standpoint it just doesn't look good i mean i just there were some shots where i really enjoyed the stuff but then some just looked really and i you know i i hate to use this word because i don't make films so it mm-hmm. always sounds like a bit of a me being a bit of a pompous ass to say this but uh it just looks very amateurish in some some aspects okay but i will say the performances are good And, uh, it kind of goes out on a bit of a strange note to me, but, uh, it has some interesting ideas. I think it's one of those films, like, like I can see why it was made and I like that it's made and I like that it exists. And maybe that if I watch it again, I might like it more and more. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I'm not going to say I'm I'm done with, I think we're alone now, but I think it's, it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. And Peter Ninklage, you know, he's, he's a, you know, a really good actor. I know he's mostly known for game of Thrones nowadays, but. You know, he's had a pretty good film career, and
2: um, yeah, he's always he's always been you know a shining star despite you know this his physical attributes. Yes,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's he's very interesting, and I think he's uh you know he's in, interesting in this as basically a leading man. I think he does a really good job. Mm. Um, I watched a documentary on Netflix called "Sad Hill Unearthed."
2: Oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this one.
1: Yeah, yeah, you should check this one out. This one's really cool. Uh, so basically, this is about a group of guys who have a fascination with the good, the bad, and the ugly. And they decide, or uh, maybe not just one group of guys, maybe several groups of people, because the good, the bad, the ugly kind of transcends time. It's one of those Westerns that everybody talks about. Scar, <coughs> Sorry, Uh Anyway, uh, so they're looking for the some pivotal moments from it. And at some point they find the, uh, the cemetery that, uh, the, the final battle in the good, the bad, the ugly takes place in this kind of circular cinematic, uh, cemetery that, uh, Leone and them came up with. And they built this whole thing that it doesn't exist. They built it. And, uh, they come across it and it's probably one of the coolest things I've ever seen when they come across it. They, they, they're up on this hillside and they come across it and you can kind of see the circle where Van Cleef, Wallach and the Eastwood were standing Mm-hmm. And then you can kind of see how that kind of blends with, it. you know, that circle kind of begins. And then you can see where it kind of blends out. And then they spend the rest of their time or they spend, they put together this gigantic project where they're going to rebuild that cemetery and kind of make it like a national kind of like monument in, uh, in Spain.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, it's very cool. It's very cool. Uh, it's a very Dude. cool idea. It's, it's a great. What I think I love about it is it's a great uh kind of story about how much people can love film.
3: Okay. But they okay. put
1: but they're putting physical they're putting actual labor into this thing cuz let me tell you. I mean they go from basically a what looks like a circle in the ground like what might have been a crop circle 100 years ago <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
1: to fully rebuilding the basically the set. And it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty impressive what they do. Nice. And it's a There's lot of work. A-
2: do do people spend a lot of the the time while they're doing this, you know, like doing the the actual grunt work? Do they go back and forth, uh, you know, with the Eli Wallach impressions, Arch Stanton? Yeah.
1: So I remember there was I haven't watched it since this was back before Christmas, but the I, I know there's a few things in it. I think one of the things I liked about it the most is there's not a lot of celebrity stuff in it. Uh, at one point, they do get Eastwood in the in the film, oh.
2: um, like and- like willingly or. Oh yeah, well I mean he
1: talks about it and he he's in it and he's talking about the project. I don't know if he was part of it originally or if he had heard about it or or what. I, I don't know if he was filmed for the movie or if he was filmed for something else and they kind of threw it into this movie. I can't tell. Okay. And the thing about Eastwood is I think for the last twenty years he's looked about the same age. So <laughs> yeah. and I mean the man is up there. You know he's he is not a young man and he, uh, I can never tell though with him sometimes. Because one of the things Eastwood can do really well is he can play kind of beyond his age, uh, which is amazing when you consider how old he is now. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
1: But he's really good at that. He's been good at that since uh, Unforgiven, really, of playing kind of beyond this kind of you know sixty or seventy year old man. I guess he's always kind of done that, really. If you think about it, he's always kind of had that kind of craggy face and and you know look and everything. I guess he's always kind of played that. But I, I was watching something that's funny. I came across in The Line of Fire the other day. And I was watching some of yesterday, actually, not the other day. And I was watching some of them, and I was like, God, look how young he looks. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not, you know, it's not that he's old and that, but he's not young either. So it's like, man, that just tells you, you know, here your guy is, he's still working. Uh, no, it, it really is worth watching, and that's what I'll say. I, I can't get into too much detail about it because I've forgotten some of it. But, man, if you like Sergio Leone, Italian Westerns, The History of Cinema, you're going to love this thing. So definitely check it out.
2: Cool. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Definitely.
1: it's real good. I kind of came across it by accident, and honestly, probably wouldn't have even watched it unless I, you know, the the poster is really great. It's, it's, got, it's got Eastwood, and it's kind of like silhouette kind of look, and I was like, huh, well, this has to be about the you know the, the Spaghetti Trilogy, uh, the, the known Spaghetti, the D Spaghetti Trilogy. It has to be about it. So I kind of clicked on it and went, and I was like, ooh, and I never turned it off. It was great. Um, let's see. And then for like a month, I didn't watch anything. And then uh, (laughs) I watched uh, Night School. Kevin Hart, Tiffany Haddish. Now
2: Night School. Oh, okay.
1: Okay. Yeah. So this is a comedy. I wanted to watch something light, uh, something kind of silly. Our good friend Will. He is not a Kevin Hart man. Uh, I am not. (laughs) I'm not a Kevin Hart fan either. Really, in a lot of ways, but uh, I do think he's funny. I do laugh at some of the stuff he does. I do laugh at his kind of petulant child humor. Uh, he, that, that seems to be his forte and he's really suited well for this playing a character who, uh, basically doesn't have a high school education and is trying to impress ladies and things like that. And Tiffany Haddish, I'm a big fan of, not only is she an attractive lady, but I love, uh, I think she's pretty funny as well. I don't think I've seen her in anything. Yeah. You may have, she's been in quite a bit at this point. She's kind of like having a moment, right? She's, she's kind of popping up and everything. And I've been wanting to check out that new film that she's in the oath. Is, okay. Uh, it looks kind of interesting. Anyway, she, uh, them two together, they work really well together. And I thought some. Of, now this movie is way over long, and it's not great. But mm. comedy is very subjective, so I think you get what you want out of it. And I thought there was some truly funny moments in it, no doubt. Uh, <laughs> uh some funny moments involving some pubic hair and some other things like that. So
2: I'm in. Yes.
1: <laughs> so it, it, uh, you know, like I said, it's too long. It's almost two hours. It's way too long for a comedy, in my opinion. But uh if you like hanging out with Kevin Hart and Tiffany Haddish, I think you'll have fun with it. But if you don't, you might have some issues. So like our good friend Will, I would not recommend this to him because he's not a big Kevin Hart person. So Uh then I changed gears, went and watched The Vanishing, which is not the vanishing from uh that uh, Dutch filmmaker. I can't remember his name now. Uh this is the vanishing, uh most recent vanishing. This is Gerard Butler and Peter Mullen. Uh this is a uh I think the I can't remember who directed this film. Uh, might've been the guy that did the, that hostage movie not too long ago. Jesus. I just sound like such a novice film fan when the, the, I go back, if I was to go back and listen to the early episodes of the show, I'm like, I'm throwing out names left and right. I'm dropping shit. Like it weighs a ton. You know, nowadays I'm, I'm lucky if I can remember who directed what, but, but, uh, the vanishing, this is kind of a small film, about uh, three sailors who man a lighthouse, uh, this is a famous incident, and they went disappear they disappeared after a certain amount of time. Uh, nobody really ever knows what happened and stuff so this is kind of a dramatization of that and uh, what it really is is just a really you know i 'm a tra- I was attracted to it because I love Peter mullen, and uh, I think he 's a great actor, one of the greatest actors mm-hmm. and um, Gerard Butler, who I think can be a very good actor, i think he 's one of those actors who kind of crosses uh the Both boundaries like he can do the commercial stuff, but he can also do the small stuff and uh he does it well because I think he's got a character actor's face uh but he's also got that leading man look, which is very much very much a rarity really when you think about it and there's not a lot of actors that can kind of go back and forth like that, and uh, they 're really good in the movie together there's another actor in there as well forgive me i don't know remember his name off the top of my head but this thing is uh it's pretty good it's not bad it's uh kind of slow and a little plodding and it's very uh heavy on the scottish accents so be warned uh you might have to get the subtitles out there Dare (laughs) it's pretty heavy but uh after about 10 minutes you're used to what i hear them talking it's not that bad so uh it was a good uh well i won't say it was breezy because that was more like a night school thing this is much more heavy uh the kind of stuff they're talking about and stuff and there's some gruesome moments in the movie uh uh that really kind of hit home hard for me that really bothered me but some disturbing stuff but uh again that would probably be where i'm at in my life and everything like that so it's interesting check it out if you guys get a chance it's like i say pretty quiet film again more about seclusion solitariness and all this kind of stuff that i love right Mm -hmm. (laughs) all right uh so then i decided i was going to catch up on some superhero films i've talked about how superhero films and me don't get along like we used to and it's it's kind of sad for me because I'm a big-time superhero lover. I grew up loving superheroes, and I read comic books. I have tens of thousands of the fucking things, and I uh, don't know what to do with all of them. And <laughs> as the, That's the typical problem of any collector. It's like, yeah, man, look at all the shit I got. Now what do I do? Yep. Um, and, and, you know, I still read them to this day, and I love them. But, and I'm not going to say – I, I don't mean this as an insult, but I love comics for their simplicity. I mean, they're just basically a simple story uh and they basically the same stories told over and over again now
2: uh, film, uh, go ahead oh okay no no i was i was going to mention China. something that has nothing to do with what you're talking about as of yet so just go, <laughs> go ahead okay now so film
1: i feel like with comic books what i thought was going on in the beginning was we had a chance to see a lot of well this was what was going on in the beginning i think we had a lot of visionary filmmakers making comic book films and i think it was an exciting time i don't think that happens anymore i've said that i've voiced my opinion of that on the show now uh, over the last couple of uh, years, maybe, or maybe the last year more than any that, you know, I felt like the Marvel movies are really, I mean, they truly are a studio right now, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they just, they turn these fuckers out. They almost all look alike.
2: Well, they are, but I would, I would actually kind of argue that it's the opposite. I think that the first few movies were rather anonymous with the Fabro and the uh, Joe Johnson and, you know, yeah. uh, those things. I think they've gotten more creative, certainly. Uh, the longer they've gone on, I mean, look at look at uh, Waititi's uh, Thor Ragnarok yeah, or the Russo brothers uh, 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 Winter Soldier. Yeah. So they're getting more adventurous again.
1: I'll agree with you on that. I haven't seen Ragnarok yet, but I like that they took that angle because Thor is a complicated character, I think, cinematically. I think you have to have a little bit of comedy with Thor, or he doesn't. I, no, oh, yeah. No, no yeah. pun intended, he doesn't fly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, that man, can you imagine like the Thor that we probably grew up reading in comics? Can you imagine that as a movie? Oh, help me. I, I say <laughs> the nay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Doth not, doth not mean what they say. <laughs> I mean, it's just ridiculous, right? So that would not work. So I think if for certain characters, and, and I'll agree, the Guardians film, uh, James Gunn, stuff like that, they have gotten more adventures because, honestly, they can. They, they've they had so much success, they can do that. So in the yeah, spirit, they can
2: take a few risks here. Yeah,
1: in the spirit of that. I kind of watched a few that – I'm trying to watch these chronologically because I'm a comic book head, right? So right. I've, I'm have playing catch-up, so I think the last thing I watched – I can't remember the last thing I watched. It was probably Avengers uh, Age of Ultron, which I enjoyed. Uh, so I j- jumped into Ant-Man, and uh, Will would highly recommend I check out Ant-Man because he felt like it was kind of off the beaten path a little bit and stuff like that. Now, I'm not, not a big Ant-Man person anyway. Uh, I'm not a big Hank Pym. Uh, I, always, I always thought it was kind of interesting – Uh, How dark Hank Pym was The original Hank Pym uh, back in the day Uh, That's a dark character if you go back and look at it And at the timeline that that stuff was coming out And you know uh, That was uh, I think Some of my first exposure to uh, Spousal abuse was uh, through Hank Pym I didn't know what Uh, that meant And uh, that's how I figured it out through comics Uh, Yay yay comics Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, So I I enjoyed some of Ant-Man But I gotta say Ant-Man left me A little I don't know. I I just was not a big fan of the Ant-Man. Uh I, I like Paul Rudd in the movie. Uh, I like the I liked all the cast in the movie really. Um but I feel like the movie is even though it try I feel like the tone is all over the place. I I, okay. I I think it tries to be lighthearted, but I think it has a lot of there's a lot of darkness in the movie that I don't understand in the in a, in the lighthearted tone. And I just I kept falling out of it because of it.
2: Like one minute. Well, I think they I think they do that cuz they're trying to, to to get you know they're trying to get the audience involvement the sort of uh, gravitas for want of a better term. Yeah, well, I think, is why I was why I think they do it. Yeah.
1: Um I, th- I think it's for me it's more like okay, well this is for the grown-ups. This really felt like that divisive line between like this, this stuff's for the grown-ups and this stuff's for the kids. Mm-hmm. And, and it felt like that in a lot of ways. And, okay. I mean, it's just a weird thing. I mean, it was a weird thing. I mean, I just, I don't know. I, it started with uh, one of Michael Pena, Pena's, uh, Pena's uh, comments about the first set of boobs I ever touched, which I had to explain to my son what boobs were, which was fun. Uh, you know, he's getting to be that age. He'll figure oh, yeah. it out. Figure it out. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, it started there, and I thought, well, that's an odd comment for a movie. And then there was these uh, these these moments where I had to explain when he turned somebody into a glob of, uh, of uh, just a glob, and I thought, man, that's pretty dark for a superhero movie to zap somebody and turn them into a glob, and then wipe them up and throw them in the toilet. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's pretty. That's some pretty dark shit. Even Charles Bronson never did that, man.
2: <laughs> uh, well, not that we know of. <laughs> yeah, it's true.
1: But uh you know, I mean, that was some pretty dark stuff. I had to, ex- you know, explain that too. And I don't, I don't, I don't mind having to explain things like that to my son. That's not the reason why. I just felt like the tone was all over the place. Because one minute you're zapping somebody, turning them into a glob of DM, DNA, mm-hmm. and then the next minute you're making boob jokes. It just, it didn't, fit didn't work for me as far as the tone goes. And I just, I, one minute, I, I'm not saying there's no funny moments because there is, mm-hmm. and there's no exciting moments because there is. I liked it, and the special effects are pretty good. Even though I got pretty tired of Small Ant-Man after a while. I, I did like the, i tell you one thing they did really well. I did like the going from big to small uh, yeah. fight, fight scenes. I didn't think yep. I was going to like that, but I thought I liked that stuff a lot.
2: Well, they really they really improved on that in the second one.
1: Yeah, which I haven't seen yet. And
2: you no, know, I, I, like a true
1: comic book fan, even though I didn't really care for this, I will watch it.
2: <laughs> sure, <laughs> I'll, sure,
1: I'll watch the second one. I actually own it. I bought it during the uh, Black Friday sale for like ten bucks. Of course, I'm going to watch it. So, you know, uh, you know, like any comic, you know, once once they hook you in the comic book world, they have you. They got you by the yeah. shirt and curlies, man. Go back to the pubic hair comment. So, <laughs> so they 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 got me right. So. But maybe, maybe this has more to do with the fact, and I wonder this sometimes, I really do, Todd. As a comic book guy, I'm a DC guy, mm-hmm. okay? And uh, us DC guys have always felt like, in a way, we have to defend the DC universe, whereas Marvel guys have always kind of felt like, you know, their shit didn't stink.
2: But That is true, it does not. <laughs> the, they,
1: the, tr- the truth is, both, both houses have good and bad.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think – here's the thing. And this is uh, what the distinction has always been between the two companies as far as – from my perspective. Was that uh, DC was always very involved with uh, plots. Yep. And Marvel was involved with characters. That was their focus. Yep. Uh, so really, uh, for me, that was always kind of the choice between the two is, you know, you either want to watch Superman, you know, turn into a gorilla with a giant cranium, or you want to watch Peter Parker have, you know, uh, an existential crisis while he's kicking the shit out of the uh, the vulture.
1: Yes. Yes, exactly. And I agree with that. I agree with that. I, th- I think my, my, I used to sum it up as such that, yeah, Marvel always had. More, probably more interesting characters, but for me, when DC, especially the time I was growing up, when DC was on top of it, when they mm-hmm. were in, when they were in it to win it, Doom Patrol, the original Doom Patrol run, oh, some yeah. of the Team yeah. Titan stuff, yeah. some of the Vertigo stuff in the '80s, and and all the stuff when when DC and you know Watchmen and all this stuff when DC is really in it, um, to me nobody competes with them. But when Marvel Marvel kind of consistently. Has always been the case. Now, I still read the comics to this day, and I still prefer DC comics over uh, most Marvel comics. But I'm okay. not, a, I think that one of the things, too, for me, I think one of the big st- kind of cornerstones of Marvel is mut- mut- Mutants, right? It's from
2: X Men. Oh, style. but for, yeah, for the 80s yeah. through the 90s. Yeah. Yeah, but for me,
1: I never was a Mutant guy. Like, I'm still not an X Men guy. I still don't read one X book. The only X character I care about is Wolverine. I, don't, okay. I I'm just not an X guy. I just, I just never have been. Movies aren't bad, but I'm just not a, uh, I'm not a mutant. I'm not a mutie.
2: So, I just, oh muties for nukes. <laughs> I'm not <a> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I was, i yeah, I'm the opposite. I'm, I, I've always been a Marvel guy more. Yeah. Um, you know, going back to when I would pick up, uh, you know, Shang-Chi Master of Kung Fu off the stands, um, Oh yeah, you know all of that stuff. I mean, I just I, I loved love that, and they always appealed to me far more than the the DC stuff. Of course, you know the DC stuff. I think that and part of their problem right now, well, has always kind of been their their seeming over reliance on Batman or oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. having anything outside of the comic books have anything to not do with Batman. It's yeah. like <laughs> yeah. they just they can't do it. Yeah, um, yeah. It, which is is a, an absolute fucking mystery to me. Which is why I'm kind of excited about you know this, these these uh, shows that are going to be coming up on uh, DC Universe like Swamp Thing and Doom Patrol. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm excited for that because you know to step outside of their usual. Uh, and that's why I loved Suicide Squad, even though again Batman appears, but you know it it wasn't uh, it wasn't about Batman. Mm-hmm. Um. So, I mean, I really appreciated that one. Uh, and, you know, I love the Nolan films as yeah. far as DC goes. And, and, and might I recommend, if you're not already reading it, uh, a couple of books by a guy named Tom King yeah. uh, who did Sheriff of Babylon, I believe. It was like a 12-issue miniseries. Uh, and then he, he's now the current writer on Batman, has been for some time. <clears throat> and he's doing a book called Heroes in Crisis, uh, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but he's just a really, really strong writer. And he's brought me back into uh, Batman, which I didn't think anybody was going to be able to do for a long time. Yep. You- uh, because I always just I always just kind of like I always you know when somebody says oh you go oh I love reading Batman I'm always just like eh, okay because yeah. he's so he's like the Wolverine of uh, he is of DC right he's <laughs> he you know that overutilized yep you know oversaturated uh, guy yeah. and yep. you know but but I got to tell you man if you're not reading the Tom King books you're missing out because it's some fantastic stuff and. Uh, I don't know if you did we talk about the Mister Miracle series?
1: Yeah, we well we did. I don't know if we talked about it on the air.
2: Yeah, no, I was just saying a, a couple of uh, you know really nice books that DC's putting out uh, from a Marvel zombie. So yep. So I think
1: so. So there it is. I mean, I, I think that's what's interesting to me. I think for me, DC is where for me DC is where the writers always were, and mm-hmm. Marvel is where the artists always were, and okay. somewhere somewhere in between that is probably the the perfect world. And that's, of course, where the independents come in and things like that. But I think, for me, the DC characters have always been uh, more interesting, especially when they go down the uh, the path of dealing with some of reality, which I'll get into next because, actually, the next film I watched, I finally watched Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. I finally watched that thing. Oh, okay. And, and I watched the three-hour cut, the, uh, the ultimate cut, the ultimate edition. Boy, that's a long movie, let me tell you. And... Uh, <laughs> And you know what though? Here's the thing, man. Uh, and I I again I, And the reason why I brought this whole conversation up to begin with is I didn't mind Batman versus Superman Dollar Justice. I thought it was okay. Yeah, I didn't mind it. I really didn't. I I think considering what they were dealing with, considering that part of the DC universe, I like the way they handled it. I like I've always liked the idea that Batman thinks Superman is a threat because that makes sense to me. Superman mm-hmm. would be a threat, wouldn't he? I mean, Jesus. And I think that what Zack Snyder did in the first film, or the Man of Steel film, by, you know, having basically destroy a city, um, I know a lot of people kind of jumped on that, but I'd already read, you know, that they were setting up Batman versus Superman, and basically, you know, so the end of Man of Steel didn't bother me because I knew that if you're setting that up, you're setting it up as Superman being this otherworldly threat that uh, Batman's protecting, protecting human beings and Superman seems to be... Uh, at least in Batman's eyes, seems to be not really that caring for human beings. Even though we know different, because mm-hmm. you know, we know Superman, right? So, anyway, neither here nor there. But that, that's a, that's everybody's read comic books or knows about that has, has talked about it for over the last few years. But I mean, I, I didn't mind the film. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a it's one of those Zack Snyder things where it's a bit too much of everything. Mm-hmm. Um uh, I was really surprised watching this long cut how long it does take Wonder Woman to show up as far as Wonder Woman goes. I was like, "Fuck, I mean it was like 2 hours and uh maybe 25 minutes, 20 maybe 2 hours and 30 minutes into it and then here she comes." And she's got a great theme song by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in the movie world, that great uh, kind of guitar that don't 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 don't. It's really kind of cool for a superhero to have a theme again, like cuz you know, most of the themes I rem- well really the only superhero theme I remember is the Batman theme. I don't
2: really remember. Uh, the, well, that was the, the Superman one. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah.
1: One the Avengers theme. The Avengers theme is pretty memorable, too. So <clears throat> I'm not going not gonna to bad mouth that. But, I, yeah, like I said, I didn't really mind it. I didn't really mind it. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I, uh, uh, ben Affleck looked like he needed to take a dump the whole movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, Henry Cavill looked like he was confused because Ben Affleck had to take a dump the whole movie.
2: <laughs> He was jealous.
1: But, uh, you know, the guys were fine, they, if not a bit uh, triangular in the way they walked around. You know, <laughs> these guys really working on them lats. Uh, oh, big time. <laughs> they really, really walking around all buffed up and stuff. Uh, it was kind of funny, and I would kind of laugh at that and stuff. But again. What did
2: you think I, of Eisenberg in this?
1: So I thought I would hate that. I <laughs> thought I would hate that, but I actually kind of liked it. i tell you why. Okay. I thought he did a real good ha- had a real good handle on ridiculous behavior slash psychopathy mm-hmm. like he he had this lip trembling thing that I thought was pretty impressive, and I really like the way he took uh Luther, although I don't like in in complete honesty, I don't like the idea of a young Luther no, neither do I. I have big problems with that, and that's just me being an old fuddy duddy. I'll fully admit that I, you know, to me, you could have put anybody in this film as Lex Luthor and, uh, it it could have been anybody middle-aged or above, and I would have probably been fine with it because, uh, you know, that that's, that's the Luthor. I know this young Luthor thing, uh, anyway, that's neither here nor there, but I thought he was okay. And I thought Gal Gadot, I think she's, when she got cast as Wonder Woman, I'm not a Wonder Woman person. I'm sure you're not either. Uh, a lot of us guys, you know, I mean, I I, I I like the character, don't get me wrong, but I've always took her in small doses. She's never been a primary character I've ever read. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she was fine in Justice League because she was there and stuff. And, it, again, not to sound like a sexist or anything like that, it's nothing to do with that. I just couldn't relate to the character. She just seemed, like, kind of boring and bland to me. I never liked her costume. I never liked the lasso. Uh, you know, I never liked that stuff. But she's really great. And when she pops up in this movie, she really has uh, – that kind of magnetic look that draws you to her.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: I don't, I don't, I can't explain that. I don't think anybody can explain that in the history of cinema, really, when you think about it, because some people just have it and some people don't, but she's got the look and, uh, I, I haven't seen the wonder woman film yet, but she's got the look and, and, uh, well,
2: it's the way she carries herself. I think. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 But it's interesting, you know, because she's basically, you know, basically an unknown who gets not, not really an unknown, but basically mostly an unknown who gets thrown into this world and, it's interesting that she can carry that weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, Batman versus Superman not not a, not as bad as people led me to believe it would be. So, uh,
2: no, I kinda, I thought it was all right. Mm-hmm. And then I watched uh,
1: Doctor Strange. I watched that's what well, technically it wasn't the next film in the Marvel order. I've come to find some people uh, there's arguments online on which order to watch these films, <laughs> I'm but, sure. Uh, yeah, as there would be. Uh, <laughs> but I watched Doctor Strange uh, because it came out pretty soon after Ant Man. Mm -hmm. uh so dr strange is interesting i got bored after a while with all the special effects i'm not gonna Mm -hmm. lie but uh i did like the film more than ant-man and it's because of the actors uh this one's got a man the the cast is heavy on the
2: Wong, chewy i know it's it's heavy come on
1: mads mickelson's in here yeah your girl swinton swinton's in here ball-headed still turning me oh yeah still turning me on i don't know what's going on (laughs) (laughs) benedict cumberbatch Cum- yeah. I cumberbatched all over my pants.
2: <laughs> Looking uh, at that ball's head.
1: <laughs> but no, the I mean the truth is, uh it, it, it does suffer from uh some some origin issues and stuff. I I I've always loved the idea of the origin of Doctor Strange, uh Stephen Strange. I think it's a great origin story. Mm-hmm. And I I like the uh the original stuff, the Ditko stuff, and I love all that stuff. And I still read Doctor Strange off and on to this day, still thinking that I'll love him, but I I never He's a difficult
2: character to pull off.
1: Big time, big time. Very difficult. The mystical side of the Marvel universe has always been a bit of a hard sell for me. It's yeah, never, yeah. it's never. I love the characters and I love the design, but the stories have always been lacking to me over the years. So, uh, again, Doctor, Doctor Strange. I love the look of Doctor Strange. Uh, this ridiculous kind of a puffy shirt and this gigantic cape and this uh, great kind of graying hair at the temples. And mm-hmm. you know, again, again, the the origin story is fantastic it's one of the great it was one of the great comic book origin stories right because it's about you know being you know being arrogant and then losing your ability to be arrogant and then having to re-find yourself i mean it's, that that's yeah. that's, well, that's learning legal. humility yeah yeah yeah. so you, you everybody can relate to that in some way so um that stuff but the the way they were it felt rushed in the movie i don't know if it was me maybe or not
2: but it just felt rushed uh well uh, to a degree it was also one of the shorter films yeah, uh, if i'm not mistaken it is it is yes it is well especially after watching
1: batman versus superman <laughs> well yeah <laughs> it's like a snack yeah. <laughs> no it it, it it was uh it was good though i mean I, I i didn't mind it uh but again i'm just gonna say for the record I'm not i'm not shitting on these things i'm just saying for the truth of the matter is i mean i understand they're huge movies i understand they got to capture a lot of people and stuff but i'd take you know I take a hundred, the vanishings over these Marvel movies because they're just more interesting. And maybe that's because of where I'm at. Okay. Maybe that's just my personality or maybe it's because I, I mean, I I used to think it was because I still read comics and maybe I'd still love the idea of the comic format as opposed to making it a film. Or maybe I think for me, it's just, I, I just wish they would take more gambles. Uh, yeah visually. that's really
2: that's really my big beef with uh with a lot of them right now, and yeah. especially with the d c stuff is I would really like to just see them cut the fuck loose, yeah just cut loose just do it. Because that's i mean dude they're comic books you could yeah. do anything in yeah. them but i think so, uh, you know the world is uh you know wide open for this shit,
1: yeah but I think the unfortunate thing is that the comic book world and these movies are huge right i mean aquaman mm-hmm. Aquaman for Christ's sake made a billion dollars yeah aquaman i'd think about that you know aquaman has been a joke amongst comic book fans for years yep e- even when i was a kid and i'd watch super friends aquaman was the most boring thing on there
2: <laughs> he did have the best he did have one of the better uh voice actors oh yeah it about. yeah yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> that's true but uh i mean i'd rather watch the wonder twins and space ghost than fucking aquaman
3: <laughs> you know
1: i mean it's just it was it was bad but uh you know that's that it's a huge world and it's a huge and I get it. I mean I'm I'm not stupid. I'm you know I'm in business as a that's my career. I, I get it. You go to where the money is and that's where the money mm-hmm. is. And uh, you know it is what it is. And I, I'm sure when I see Aquaman, I'll probably like some of it and I'll probably hate some of it the same way I do all these films. But yeah, uh, uh, at the same time, you know who can who can argue against box office success? Nobody. I mean you just it is what it is. We can sit around and go well. Well, back in my day. But truth is, you know, back in when we were kids, there was movies that were out and there was probably adults going, man, I can't get into this E.T. thing. What is this
2: E.T. Yeah. thing? Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's always going to be there. I don't think – but the, here's the here's the opposite side of that coin is I don't think that, you know, that sort of thing delegitimizes the other side that doesn't care for it for whatever reason. Yeah. You know, that sort yeah. of back in my day thing. I don't think that it's a, a, a um, uh, an il- illegitimate uh, – argument necessarily no, no. but it, it is one that you know we've heard a million times and i'm sure that to some degree or another we do or will uh have that you know have that argument ourselves yeah um you know there's, there's really no getting around it you know the, the generations change and you know it's always the younger generation is like ah oh, these kids today whatever <laughs> yeah. um and you know and, and and i don't i don't think that. The, it's very fair to to just you know poo poo on that sort of uh, thing just out of hand, although there needs to be, uh, you know, some substance underneath you know the the blanket statements, of course. Yes, yes. Uh, and that's that's really you know the heart of the matter and and the thing that is lacking, especially with the with the prevalence of social media today, is that there's you know everything is just a blanket statement and well, everybody else is is wrong rather yeah. than just having a different opinion.
3: Yep,
1: there's that, and then everything more than ever everything is more hyperbole than it ever has been.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the movie yeah.
1: the movie world really suffers from that. I, yeah, I, I think. yeah. Because, you know, for me, when something comes out and everybody is so excited about it and they go see it and they tell me it's the greatest thing ever, it's like, you know, that that's all hyperbole. That's all that is. Yeah. Yep. So one of the great things about being able to go back and watch these uh, superhero films is that I've, you know, I, I don't get caught up in it. I watch them as the film themselves. I don't get caught up in the moment. Mm-hmm. And, uh I think you, if you go back and look at a lot of these as films, as somebody who goes back and watches old films like I do, mm-hmm. I think if you do that, I think you will see some of the things that uh, that I'm talking about. As opposed to if you go see it Friday or Thursday night opening weekend, I can yeah. totally get. I, I could totally see getting caught up in the moment because uh, you know yeah. I used to be that movie fan myself. I used to be that guy that you know. Couldn't wait for the next uh, you know, Bruce Willis movie. And then I went and saw him and was like, Oh man, this is the greatest Bruce Willis movie ever made.
2: Yeah, well it's that's kinda of like the difference between wanting to go see the circus and wanting to go watch the circus get put up, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Yep. It's a good point. I mean,
2: it's that, that's probably a bad analogy, but that's that's the no, first one that sprang to my mind.
1: That analogy kind of makes sense to me because I'm I'm probably the one that kinda of likes to watch the circus get put up. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Don't really care for the show. I want to see the you know the craft itself. So
3: yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
1: There we go. All right. So that's everything we watched. We spent an hour talking about that. Let's see how long we can talk about movies now.
2: I'm thinking like 15 minutes. <laughs> 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 we'll see what happens. <laughs> All right. So we're gonna
1: take a short break. We'll come back and we'll talk about. what We want to talk about. You want to talk about?
2: Uh, it's you want to just go chronological.
1: Well, there we go. That's the easiest. That's always the easiest path to go. Yeah, it is. I like it So we'll come back and talk some uh, Sudden Fury We'll be back right after this
0: Hey this is Scott of Married with Clickers Tune in to hear my wife Kat and me discuss all sorts of movies We'll cover everything from The Lost Weekend To Weekend at Bernie's From The Big Sleep To Big Mama's House Well maybe not Big Mama's House And the great thing about Kat is that she's not afraid to speak her mind And would you be surprised to hear He was nominated for Best Actor that year For that film? For that film
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but don't take my word for it. Just listen to what The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema has to say about our show.
1: It's a husband and wife show and they discuss movies and stuff.
0: Yeah, a very wife husband show. High praise indeed. So come find us at marriedwithclickers.libson.com. It will save your life or maybe just help you kill an hour. Spanish Inquisition, guitars and trombones, mechanical monkeys.
1: Everybody, welcome back. So, our first film of the show, after we've talked for an hour about <laughs> comic books and sluice gates and all kinds of other things, <laughs> which we didn't talk about on the air. No. Uh, uh, once we've uh, uh, gotten through all that, now we're actually going to review a film. I think that might be what some of you come here for. Uh, maybe you just come here for the general company. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. The camaraderie.
1: Yeah, that's right. Or just to make your car ride or your jog or whatever you do when you listen to podcasts. Yeah,
2: it's just white noise. Yeah,
1: it's just more pleasant. I mean, I used to play uh, sports video games and listen to podcasts. That's how I got hooked on Of course, I drive a lot, too, so that has a lot to do with it as well. Uh, so our first film is Sudden Fury, 1975, directed by yep. Brian DeMood. Uh, basic plot synopsis is uh, Fred is a psychotic un- entrepreneur. <laughs> I don't know i don't know why that makes me laugh but it does uh who hopes to convince his wife janet to invest in a shady land deal uh the wife refuses and the couple continue in a heated argument while driving through the backwoods and they have a car crash so i am going to leave it at that because i think it's better to leave it at that um basically there is a witness to this car crash and things get a little crazy after that and it says that on the box of the dvd so it's not giving a plot thing away, but basically there's a witness. So it's basically a, this is a very small, mm-hmm. uh, you know, basically three to five lead type film, uh, low budget type thing. And uh, I think Vinegar Syndrome put this out on Blue. ray uh, I do believe, yeah, yeah. And uh, this, if you go back to the old show, or us doing the old show back when the Cinema Day Bazaar days, mm-hmm. uh, this was one of those ones that uh, they were putting out because uh, it didn't have a release. And this is a tax shelter film, Canadian film. Yep. Uh, there is some stories in this movie and some some boats, a <laughs> oh, boats. Yeah, there's some boats and some stories, and uh, yeah, it's funny. Uh, I know Will probably doesn't hear them, but uh, <laughs> ah. you know, if you're from down here, you do you do hear them. And uh, but the uh, this was an interesting viewing experience to say the least. Uh, you
2: want to you want to lead on this one? Uh, yeah, I think I could. Okay. Um, yeah, that's cool. So uh the film opens up it is it actually it it, it starts off with the uh, a scene in uh Fred's house okay and Fred is kind of Fred for all the world looks like the Canadian Johnny Wad Holmes um
1: <laughs> yeah mixed with Ron Burgundy right
2: yeah right yeah. uh he, he absolutely does and uh and the other guy in this film uh was a al uh played by Dan Hennessy he looks like he should have been like one of the backup guys in Toto. Um,
1: <laughs> or maybe the so, uh, Canadian Jamie Gillis. One of one the other. <laughs> so going, okay, well the played. Point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, but it starts off with this. It starts off with a wonderful, uh, little sequence that completely sets you up to expect a certain, uh, a certain storyline. Um, you know, he, he's sitting at home, he's drinking, he makes a phone call, he kind of, you know, uh, gets some things going on. And then he he just really kind of drags out this this ploy uh, as he's riding in the car with his wife, Janet. Uh, they're going to see some friends, they're going to the back roads, He you know, he's going to pull over and show her something. He keeps giving you these side glances, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and you really, got, you really start to wonder to yourself, uh, you know whether or not he's he's actually, you know, going through with what you think he's going through with or whether he's, you know, making a last desperate attempt at uh, saving his relationship with his wife. Uh, and it's a decent little red herring act um, you know, job that uh, Damoud pulls off. Um, you know, Janet the uh, the wife, you know, she's she's she does come off as cold. Uh, but there's some real emotion going on with her, and with all the characters. The characters are, you know, overall pretty well developed uh, for for you know what they are. For something, it really shows a strong script. Uh, yeah. This film does. Uh-huh. Um, I think that that is one of its strengths. Uh, is it shows what you could do with uh, with almost no money. Kind of like uh, Monty Hellman's The Shooting, you know, referring back here to those of you who listened to the first hour of the show. (laughs) Um, So, you know, they get to the gas station – uh, after a few things happen, and they go, and uh, Fred and Janet have this little disagreement about whether she's gonna fund his uh, his shady land deal, which I really didn't, you know when i when I was hearing him talk about it, I don't, I'm watching them like, I don't really think it's all that shady, right? I mean, it looks like you know a pretty decent piece of property. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know I don't know exactly <laughs> what's going through you know, Fred's head exactly why he, how he, how in the hell he found this thing in the first place. But yeah,
1: um, I don't know if shady is the word I would use. Certainly. I mean, risky yeah. might be the better word.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. Risky. And, uh, and you know, it's just like the wife wants nothing to do with it.
1: You feel like there's a bit of backstory there though, that Fred has spent her money
2: before. done right? this before. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, oh yeah.
1: He, he's just one of these guys who has pipe dreams and unfortunately he comes from no money and he, he thinks he tries to carry himself as a, a successful businessman and that that's what I got from it. I got all this kind of, you know, he wants to be the successful stuff and, and be important and all these things. But unfortunately, he goes about it all in the wrong way.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the for the first little bit of the film, you know, he's kind of a sad sack, pathetic, sort of mewling, you know, paranoia kind of guy. Uh, but, you know, that once they get to the gas station uh, down the road a little ways – he just goes into full on douche mode. Yeah, he really right? does. He does right, and uh, and the interesting thing is that you know the gas station owner says, you know, we never know the whole story, do we? Yeah. And I thought that that was you know really smart that they put that line in there because it kind of it kind of like you know smooths over any sort of transitional issues we might have had with the with the way that he kind of turns on that, and then the way that the, that the film goes right because the film is going to play out along this whole line right to the end. Uh, so I think that it's, you know, a, you know, a great little piece of foreshadowing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then you, okay. So then you get Al showing up, right. And he, he, I think plays it just a little too nice guy. Uh, and out of all the actors, I think he's also one of the most, well, he is the most over the top one in the whole film, even with some of the, uh, the craziness that Fred gets up to. Yep. Yep. Um, but he's okay. I mean, he he fits the he fits the part, uh, you know, well enough that uh, that you know it's not it's not like egregious. It doesn't really pull you out of the uh, the film or anything like that. Um, but the big question really is why you know. Okay, so something happens, and you kind of, at first, or I did, uh, you're you're kind of wondering why didn't Fred play this out a certain way to begin with where he, he could have just gotten away with it more or less. He wouldn't have had to go through half of the things that he goes through. Mm. Um, but you know, then it starts to make a little bit more sense when you, you know, the, the film plays out. So again, it's, you know, really smart, uh, sc- uh, screenwriting in the way that, you know, it kind of plays, uh, you know, both sides of the fence and it kind of gives you more than one reason for why, uh, people are doing what they're doing. Yeah. Um, do, 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 yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, and then, oh, <laughs> here's one. Uh, do you remember when you used to have to dick with the gas pedal on a car to start it?
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you pump it. You used to, you pump it three times slow and then one time fast and then you'd pull the choke out and yeah. then you start it.
1: Or, you know, uh, I think one of the first cars I had, you had to hold that gas pedal down to get it to go.
2: Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You definitely had to well, it it, well. In case, you, get in get case off. you flooded it with the three pumps, right? <laughs> yep, yep. yep. <laughs> remember flooding the fucking. Oh, I remember.
1: Uh, I remember. I remember vividly. I, you know, like, <laughs> I could smell it coming before it came. You know, it's like oh, well, yeah. <laughs> it smells like gas in here.
2: Yeah, yep. <laughs> uh, you know, Fred. Uh, Fred proves to be pretty fucking resourceful. Um, you know, the way that he kind of he screws with the with the car, he screws with the phone. Uh, you know, it's it's pretty clever how he kind of turns everything around on Al, who's just kind of this, you know, gormless guy who stopped to to help out uh, somebody who he saw was in a car wreck. Yeah. Um,
1: I found it kind of strange, though. He kind of, Fred, Fred. I mean, I'm not going to say it's bad. Uh, it's not. I just found it kind of weird that Fred got all McGavery uh, a little bit, you know, to use a lack of a better term, because uh, he didn't seem like that kind of character when they set him up. Now, obviously, there's one thing we should mention in the film, that the Fred... Okay, so he does. She turns him down on the shady deal. He's pretty pissed off, but he's pissed off before this, right? Because yeah, yep, she's supposedly having an affair. It's never really completely confirmed.
2: Well, no, she says it.
1: Oh, does she say it? I
2: thought. Well, yeah. I, I didn't think she said it. I
1: thought she. No, kind she confirms of... it in the oh, car. Okay, yeah, okay. I never thought. I don't remember her saying it. I remember. I remember her kind of looking like you know clearly there is one going on. I never really heard her say it though, but anyway. Uh, it's enough to that, that really pushes fred over the edge that, mm-hmm. that that is the moment when now he's he's been shut down financially so he's already you know he's been shut off that way uh they haven't had a good marriage going for a while now and then he confirms that his wife's having an affair so fred's a man that uh yeah he's he's losing it more and more by the minute and uh yep. he's got nobody to blame but himself obviously probably i mean that's what you kind of get from the the kind of uh, the story uh, beats in the movie. But I did find it kind of odd that he became so kind of crafty. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I I liked it, but I'm just saying it's weird.
2: (laughs) Well, I kind of, I actually found it pretty believable because the way that he's set up is, you know, as just kind of a guy who's got like nothing better to do with his time than sit around and kind of dick around with the, Mm, with this, that, and the other thing and kind of learn how stupid shit works for whatever reason you know just to find out how it works and then now he's just applying that to this situation that he finds himself in it is a little bit weird in how you know he seems to almost have like a you know quote-unquote plan that he just enacts and starts you know unraveling as yeah. the film goes well i think that's that the, that part of it is is a yeah. little bit hard to to yeah. swallow but not 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 enough that it not enough that it, you don't go along with it.
1: Yeah. That's very screenplay centric, right? That, 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 <laughs> yeah. you got to move the story along. So that's, yeah, yeah that, uh, yeah. you know, I get it. I mean, it, if you, if you sit around and you, you examine it and kind of go through it and stuff, yeah, it's kind of silly, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you got to get that story moving. And, uh, it that kind of makes sense a little bit to me.
2: Yeah. So then the film plays out, you know, in this, in this nice little cat and mouse way. um, and it, you know, circles around to a farm uh, owned by a guy and his wife, and there's, you know, I, I, don't, I really don't want to get into too many details. But then you get to, you know, the finale there, and you have um, the finale is in a barn. And the first thing that I thought of uh, as that was playing out was the ending of Dirty Harry uh, when they're in the um, when they're in the 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 coal. Uh, the cold uh, card thing there. Oh, yeah, you know yeah. what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. Yeah. I was talking yeah about- it, it just, it, it immediately reminded me of that. Hmm. Um, and it's actually, it's, you know, it's nicely done. It's not quite as cathartic as we expect, but I, I think that it fits here. Um, cause this isn't really that type of film. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and the mood, you know, proves that with the final scene, right. This isn't that kind of film. Uh, however, the very, very, very final scene, I thought that that kind of played out a bit too long. Yeah. Um, it just, it, it kind of like drags itself out, kind of like explaining itself over and over and over again yep. and yep. kind of backstopping this and backstopping that. Um, and then, you, you know, there's, there's that moment in the barn, right. And the mm-hmm. finale, yep, which is fantastic. But then uh, Hennessy almost ruins it by, you know, going into a little bit of capital A acting. <laughs> um like big time. Yeah. You know, swing for the fence is kind of acting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> but overall nice. So, you know, I mean there are some stretches uh, you know, with the film, but overall it's a very believable story. It's told solidly, if not especially dynamically, right? Um it's you know small budget it's a canadian tax shelter film but it shows what you could do economically you know with some com- uh, some compelling ideas and a little bit of talent yeah. yeah yeah um i mean for me uh i would say that this is the kind of film that you know young filmmakers can look to for a little bit of inspiration um certainly one that you know would be off the beaten path or one that you wouldn't necessarily think of first you know in that regard mm-hmm. um you know it, it would not be up there, you know, for most folks' mind, as far as you know, recommends go right Um, in that regard. But you know, maybe it should be. Um Yeah, yeah. and it's certainly, it's certainly, I would say, underseen. Yeah, I would so, say,
1: I would say, film lovers. Uh, you know, me, you, people who do podcasts, people who listen to film podcast about films from 1975. Yeah, yeah, I'd say they they definitely need to probably check it out. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know,
2: well, I, I would even say, you know, I would I would go out on a limb and say that this would actually make a nice little pairing with rituals. Uh, Although they're oh they're different,
1: yeah, yeah, I like Rituals a lot more than this. But
2: well, yeah, but I mean, I I, I would say that this is you know good enough to be you know like second build. Oh sure, for sure, sure.
1: The B movie, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The quintessential B movie to Rituals, which yeah. is a B movie. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe the C movie, I don't know. But yeah, no, I could totally see that, right? I mean, that, that makes total sense, and I, yeah, I think it's entertaining enough, right? I think it's 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 definitely well it's definitely a film of its time which mm-hmm. you know the uh well the fashion I the mean, fashion just, is yeah the fashion is definitely uh
2: <laughs> if, lots of checks <laughs> Yeah,
1: if there's uh some jokes that one drove me crazy i think what drove me crazy the most wasn't the jacket so much that uh uh our lead is wearing as much fred is wearing as much as the shoes he has on because he's got those like uh inch, inch high heels
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I was back I in the era
1: you. yeah, I was back in the era when men wore heels. Yep. And uh, you know, as a kid that grew up in the 70s and had to wear heels sometimes, uh, they fucking suck. <laughs> I hate
2: heels, man. <laughs> I don't think I ever had to wear them, honestly. Uh, I
1: think I wore some for like, you know, whenever we would dress up to go to church or whenever we would dress up to go get our pictures taken. I don't know why we had huh? to wear, I don't know why we had to wear nice shoes to get our pictures taken, by the way. Yeah right. It made no fucking sense. You know why couldn't I wear? I, I mean, I could be barefoot in a fucking picture. It doesn't make a difference. <laughs> You're only gonna see me from the waist up. I remember you having that argument with my mom, and she'd be like, "I'll be quiet." Like, <laughs> you look nice. Uh,
2: uh-huh. That's what it's all. Um, about. <laughs> but yeah, no, that, that's uh, that's pretty much all the notes that I got. Uh, yeah, I dug uh, I dug watching this thing again. I yeah. watched it a while back, yeah. uh, and you know, came back around to do it again. I liked it a little bit more uh, this time around.
1: Yeah, so it, does, it what it lacks in uh, style, it makes up for in a bit of substance, right? Because it really, mm-hmm. it's not a filmmaker's film, uh, but it's certainly a well-written plot and mm-hmm. a good idea. And I like the way it kind of plays out. Uh, again, I thought Fred being as crafty as he became, at first I thought it was kind of silly, but you make a good point. I mean, this guy's, you know, maybe he, he's not really working, so maybe he's got a lot of time to tinker, you know? Maybe if this is made today, obviously Fred's in his workshop when he calls his wife and finds out she's uh, not at work. Yeah, you know? yeah. Now, but in you know, this one, he's just sitting there having a drink and a cigarette and and looking like uh, John Holmes. And then, you know, like I said, there's a finale in the barn, similar to John Holmes. Anyway. Uh, well,
2: I, I kind of <laughs> like that. But I mean, going back to that, I, I kind of like that quality that they don't have to tell you yeah. necessarily that, you know. Oh, I do. I do. He's he's uh, he's handy, oh, right? Yeah
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, I, I, I do. Don't let me, don't let me, don't, don't let me. No, no, I'm just,
2: I'm just saying. I, I, I like that quality of it.
1: I hate that in modern cinema you have to set up everything. Uh, because, yeah, you yeah. Know, they, they make the audience feel dumb. Otherwise, you know, or they think the audience is dumb. So you know, they, you know, if if you're gonna have a crafty character, we need he needs to have a workshop. If you're gonna have a a tech character, he needs to have a thousand computers in his room. If you know, yep. you got, you got to have all these things nowadays. You can't, you can't do what they did in the '70s, which is, oh yeah, by the way, this character also you know, does porn on the side, you know, <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. when Why did he take his pants off? <laughs> uh, so what I really liked about this movie was, man, did I really love that countryside and that small town feel?
2: Yeah. So there's, not,
1: there's not really a town in the movie when I say no. small town feel, but it is very rural, uh, very wide open spaces. And of course, uh, anytime you get off the beaten path like that, um, <sighs> that you have that another thing i found odd i like the the idea of the land deal it just at first it feels like he's setting her up to like get rid of her right there you know what i'm saying exactly and it's very strange that they would go down this rural road he wants to show her this land and then he turns it into this land deal conversation almost like a last ditch effort to save his marriage and uh he doesn't know if he's going to push her off the cliff or what he's going to do and it's kind of interesting that you know, he may have had those plans. I think that's probably the most interesting thing for the film. He may have had those plans and those ideas, yeah. but he basically decides against it. Right. And then there's the accident. And now he's kind of forced into it. And he's like, you know what? This may be in such a bad idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is the, this is what I kind of wanted all along. Maybe this is the way to do it. So I found that very interesting. Cause it's, it's that moral dilemma, right? It's what film noir does really well. Like, you know, um, uh, I you know one of the things I remember reading about this film back in the day was um, it's very similar to like a Blood Simple or something like that. But really, I don't know if it's similar to Blood Simple, but it is similar to a lot of film noir in that characters get them they make some bad decisions, they get themselves into a, a worse and worse situation, and uh, now they got to figure that out. But the reason why they get themselves in this bad situation is because they had a bad idea to begin with. And mm-hmm. it just you know, they seemed like a good idea, but it was really a bad idea if you had any common sense or if you stood outside of it and looked at it. And he's desperate, you know. And desperation leads people to do silly and stupid things, and uh, that's what happens. Uh, you're right about the Hennessy character. He's almost, uh, man, he's almost too apple pie.
2: Yeah, yeah, he really is.
1: But but he he's fine. I like him, uh, you know, because he's such a likable guy. Uh, he does do the capital A acting thing, which it, it's funny when you say that because what I th- started thinking to myself is that the very, you know, the last five minutes of the film or whatever, he's really playing downtrodden. I'm thinking, well, that's because he lost all of his energy because he threw all his acting chops out in the barn. <laughs> <laughs> he threw he threw everything he had at the wall, man, like spaghetti. He was a little suit oh, yeah. sticks. <laughs> it, it, it's interesting to me that uh, yeah, he's it, you know he's really depressed and he's really not fighting at the end, and we should say, like, the last ten minutes of this movie, or maybe the last five minutes is better like it, are really kind of odd. Yeah. Uh, and the way the film ends is super odd. Uh, if if you're looking for the ending you're looking for, that's all I'll say.
2: Yeah, it definitely is, it definitely does not go the way you imagine. <laughs> no, it does not at all. <laughs> it does not at all.
1: It's like, wait a minute, is this over? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, we've all had that experience with movies. So, uh, so if you've had that experience, be prepared. You're probably going to have that experience with this film film. Uh, wait, wait, did I miss something? That's what I that's what I felt like, you know. <laughs> um the um uh, I'm looking at my notes. Uh so oh, Jesus, I can't even read my own writing. How bad is that? That's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> uh oh yeah okay so there's the blah 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 yeah i said that let's see characters okay <laughs> uh, let's get back into it here they you don't know, but i think the issues i had i liked all the characters in the movie like i said i liked the hennessy character even though he was very cardboard cut out uh nice guy uh and i like the fred character because he's a very complicated character uh guy guy on the edge guy losing his mind guy lo- just full of rage uh I even like the the kind of uh what we said was she comes off as cold but she she obviously she's in a bad spot as well right she's in a part of her marriage where she don't want to be anymore
2: Yeah she well there's just, reasons
1: Yeah she's made some bad decisions herself you know perhaps sure. cheating on your husband isn't the answer perhaps divorce is the answer but again we're human beings we make ill decisions and she's made some bad ones and she there's a really good acting moment when he confronts her with the affair thing i think she does a really good job of relaying that she's busted without you know getting too crazy like I yeah mean, she, she does a really good job of like oh fuck he's figured it out yep and uh you know it, it it's it's a nice moment a really good acting moment there's some there's some nice acting moments in the film there is some overacting some amateur acting in the movie but there is definitely some nice moments too the the uh, gas station attendant, he's kind of an interesting guy. And that I don't know if that's a Canadian thing as you know, as much as an American influence on cinema though, that idea of the gas station in the middle of nowhere. I can tell you some of those gas stations, you know, in rural Kentucky, they don't exist anymore, but they did exist when I was a kid. Oh yeah. And you know, you could stop and somebody would have their uh you know, they'd have like a little shop, but it'd be in the front of their house, almost like a sunroom type thing. And you could come in and you could get some you know, it's basically the convenience stores before convenience stores, really, right? And mm-hmm. and uh, especially in small towns or rural areas where there was no convenience stores, it was really just mom and pop, and they would sell the sell the stuff. And there's a great funny moment where he says, yeah, you can have it. He goes, I'll give you one of the candy bars. They're stale as hell anyway. And they laugh about it and stuff, which I thought was kind of funny because uh, Dan Hennessy, the way he laughs, it's like he didn't expect that joke to come out of that guy's mouth. But I found it kind of interesting because it felt very American uh but it's clearly canadian centric and and uh, you know obviously there's no real big difference right north american film you could say but there is certainly uh this kind of american sensibility to the movie uh and obviously canadian tax shelter films they're making films to sell in america like most people do you try to sell your films in america like right now we try to sell our films in china so we make these big budget you know big big films that you don't really need to understand that much is basically if you got the big action set pieces and stuff, you can sell them around the world. We've been doing that for years. It's not like it's anything new, but I found some of that kind of stuff. Interesting. Uh, uh, the, uh, I like, this is going to sound like a weird, uh, a weird thing to bring up, but I like the cars in the movie because they look like cars. These guys would own. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, usually in movies when it comes in are and they're, they're kind of car centric, usually one of them at least has a pretty nice car.
2: Mm-hmm. Like no, yeah, but, not so much.
1: Yeah, these are just economy cars. Uh, well, yeah. for the time.
2: You know, well, like, yeah,
1: very much for the time. <laughs> and it was like an Oldsmobile and a Ford Torino, I think. And uh, it's like, yeah, that, I remember those days when everybody had the big giant steel monsters, and you know they got about eight miles to a gallon.
2: <laughs> yep, know? I had a few.
1: <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I appreciated that because I, I, I thought you know, usually, you know. One of them would probably have a pretty nice car. Uh, I think if this was made today, you know, people would probably have fluorescent lights under their car, and they'd probably be uh, have hip hop playing in the background or something, you know, in the speakers, and they'd have a, you know, who knows, <laughs> probably have a turbo on there or something. But I, I like those aspects of the movie. I also like I like the set piece of the farm, but I feel like that set piece goes on for too long, and I feel like if there's anything that Brian de mood. Who only made one film. yep. uh, And bravo to him because he did a pretty good job. I feel like if there's anything that hurts the movie to me, it is that farm stuff. Because I don't feel like, for me, I don't feel like the suspense was there when I needed it to be there. Okay. Um, I did like that setting. And I did like the way it plays out. It plays out pretty terribly. Mm -hmm. Um, When I say that, awful for the characters. I don't mean for the film. But... And I did like the the confrontation in the barn, even though, like you said, Hennessy goes like he had a shot of Hennessy before he went in there. <laughs>
2: uh, I thought I thought that well I thought that the scene in the barn was very well edited.
1: It was, it was, and but I just think some of the stuff that's set up around that and stuff again, it's a bit of a modern sensibility looking at it. They're very you know forgiving of letting this character in. You know there still is a lot of that. Believe it or not, and, you know I still meet people to this day like oh yeah, come on in, have a drink. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, even in today's crazy world, people still do that kind of stuff. So it's not like it's unheard of, but it just, I don't know. There's parts of that that kind of drove me crazy and stuff. Basically, what I think of this film is I think the story's really good. The hook's good. It's almost Hitchcockian in a way. Um, The style isn't there for the type of movie that I think it is. But be honest with you, this is a daytime thriller. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard thing to pull off, I think. I think night. I think nighttime thrillers or nighttime kind of these type of films. I think that gives you an extra element of like natural fear. Whereas, I mean, there's very little nighttime stuff in this. I don't think there's any, right?
2: Uh, There is uh, zero. Yeah. yeah. I mean, except for the opening scene. Yeah, yeah. I don't think in the in the house.
1: So I mean, Bravo to Brian DeMuth and them for pulling it off. Now that was probably a budgetary thing, right? Because obviously, shooting. Well, you could shoot it. Yeah. Yeah, you shoot all day and saves you money and. You don't need all the lighting and stuff, mm-hmm. and I gotta say the sound, uh, the sound editing on the film and all that stuff for a low budget film like it is, it's really good. I mean, it never felt like it was like eighty yard hardcore or anything. Like people were saying things out of place. You never felt like that. It, it, no, it no, no. Good, but yeah, I don't have a whole lot more to say. I mean, I think it's really, I think it's solid. It's got a great poster, uh, great title because the title kind of makes sense, right? Sudden Fury, mm-hmm. and uh, just a great setup. Uh, I think it could have, I just, I don't know, I, I, I guess it could have played out a little bit better, but uh, I did enjoy the film.
2: Yeah, I mean, for what it is, it, it absolutely, I mean, like I said, I, I really do think that this is something that you could show to, you know, aspiring filmmakers and and say to them, you know, look, this is what somebody did, you know, with like a dollar and was able to pull off and this was their first and only movie. Yeah. Imagine uh, if this guy had been, you know, able to develop a little bit more, and be given a little bit more of a budget, and be given, you know, yeah, a little bit better cinematographer, or you know what have you, I think he could have, he could have really been almost like a Richard Franklin.
1: Yeah, I think on the Vinegar Syndrome disc, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, I believe there's a commentary track with him. So I'm going to definitely go back and listen to that and see what may have went wrong with his career. Like you know what, sure. you know what what happened? Did he decide to move on to something else? Did he decide to not do it? Did this break him?
2: yeah I, yeah.
3: You know,
1: who knows i don't know anything about brian DeMood, so i'm kind of interesting to, are you
2: in the mood to listen to that I'm, commentary I'm track in, i'm in the mood <laughs> in the mood that was the worst <laughs> i know <laughs> but it's okay it's okay
1: minor minor usually this is bad so i don't think <laughs> well, let's get into mvts maker breaks
2: all righty um MVT for me is going to be Damud. Uh, he shows some definite skills that, uh, you know, like I said, uh, just <laughs> 10 seconds ago, sadly, we never got to see develop, um, make or breaks the finale. Uh, I thought that it was tense, well done and unexpected. Um, and I mean, yeah, aside from that last scene that just kind of labors and drags its way across the, uh, the ultimate finish line. Um, and score for me is going to be a 7.5 out of 10. Uh, it's a nice little uh, little movie that uh, I think people should do themselves a favor of digging up and checking out. Okay. All right. Um,
1: <clears throat> I make a break. I'm going to go with the uh, the action in itself because it's a pivotal moment. Okay. And I kind of like the reactions of all the characters. I, I did like mm-hmm. – uh, that was my favorite Fred moment as you can kind of <laughs> see his uh, – His his gears are working at that point. They're grinding, right? Like he's trying to figure things out, and he doesn't know what exactly to do. And I kind of like how it leads to him kind of running up and uh, unhooking some wires on a car. Mm -hmm. Uh, So anyway, it's it's it. But I like that it's it's a very pivotal moment. I think it kind of kicks the movie off. Uh, The MVT for me on this film. I don't know, man. It's it's definitely not. I mean, the actors do a good job. I think it it's really the screenplay, probably, because I okay. think I think it's well written. I think the conversations feel real between Fred and his wife. Uh, I think the conversations between all the characters feel pretty significant and real. I don't. I never felt like anybody was writing for the movies, so to speak.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I
1: mean, it's not the not in that Tarantino way, but I mean, I I just, I just never felt like the conversations were. You know, hey, I got an idea. I'd like to talk about this in a movie. <laughs> you know, they weren't political or anything. They just felt like real conversations, but they weren't kind of hitting you over the head with them. So yeah, and I kind of like that. And even the Fred moments uh, with his wife, I think that those moments, um, I think those play out very real. Even though they're, they could be, they could easily have been very soap operas, right? I, I think they play out very real. I think his anger is bubbling. And then I think it's where you're getting all the side glances, either that or she's got really bad gas in the car. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Yeah,
2: you you never know.
1: Yeah, you never know. I mean, a lot of beef jerky on the road. Yeah, yeah. That's always tricky. Um, (laughs) But no, I mean, yeah, that rage is boiling underneath the whole time. I mean, you pretty much get that from the beginning, right? I mean, it's set up as you can tell Fred's a guy on the ropes. And uh, he's going to take it. You know, you take it one way or another. You can take it heartbroken and walk away, or you can take it the way Fred took it. I would recommend taking it heartbroken and walking away. Ah, uh, Yeah. Fred probably took it the wrong way. <laughs> uh, and my score for the film, I'm a I'm a little bit lower than you. I don't know. Some of it just didn't play out for me the way I wanted it to. And maybe I need to rewatch it. But I gave it a 6.75 out of 10 okay. on the first watch through. I could maybe bump it up to a 7. It's not it's not a bad movie at all. And in no way, shape, or form, considering all things considered, it is certainly not that Um it's entertaining. It's not super long. I think it's like an hour and a half, right? 90 minutes. Uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, it plays out pretty well. And the flow's pretty good. Uh, there is some slow moments and some, uh, some like, like we said, amateur acting and stuff. But I think for, for the most part, it's really a shame, I agree with you, that we didn't get more stuff. That that Brian wasn't in the mood to make more movies. <laughs> it's really,
3: <laughs>
1: it's really, really a shame that uh, that didn't happen. But, no, it's... It, Uh, you know i still think it's a very solid uh b movie and one that uh you know i'm glad it's interesting we always say this on the show and i know it sounds kind of tiresome to say but you know when we started this show a lot of these films weren't available even on dvd Uh, yeah Yeah. and uh now here i am in a world where these films are coming out on hd releases and things like that and maybe that's not a big deal to a lot of people Uh, i'm still a physical media collector so for me it's nice to have these things in my library and to be able to go back and revisit them. And uh, something like *Sudden Fury*, it's really nice to have that kind of stuff. And, and and you know, say, "Hey, man, this is a tax shelter film. Seventy-five guy made it. and Are you in the mood to watch it?" <laughs> <laughs> How many times can we hammer that? Out? Oh, many. <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a short break and come back and talk about the Changeling and see what kind of demood that uh, george c scott george in. c scott would be in. yeah <laughs> 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 and, uh... <laughs> <laughs> what is this thing <laughs> yeah. well, we'll just wait for the george c scott's impersonations after the oh, break
2: they've already started <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll be back right after this
0: a one a two, a one, a two a one two three, three four
3: love that
0: album Hello, Tom Waits here. If you want to hear a really professionally recorded podcast promo, then I'd suggest you go elsewhere. But if you want to listen to a podcast where there's a whole lot of interesting talk about favorite and great albums and what makes the songwriting so fantastic, then I'd suggest you listen to Love That Album, hosted by Morris. Now, if only he'd talk about one of my records.
3: Whoa, 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 whoa.
0: Love That Album Podcast, as endorsed by one out of 5 Tom Waits impersonators. You can get the podcast from iTunes searching for Love That Album, or you can get it from lovethatalbum.blogspot.com. Listen to this podcast except no imitation.
1: 1980, directed by Peter Medek, Medek, Medek. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll just go with, him. Uh, you know, whatever. He, it is what it is. Uh, <laughs> 1980, uh, like I said, uh, t- starring George C. Scott, Trish Vanderveer. Yeah. It's a fun name to say, Vanderveer. Uh, Melvin Douglas, not a lot of big stars in the film, but uh, a lot of character actors, people that uh, usually are like, oh, I know that guy from something. Uh, uh, so there's a lot of that going on. Uh, there's the one of these actors, I can't remember his name, I think it's Eric uh Christmas, I believe. Yeah, he plays the old man, he plays the uh um one of the, the uh people at the seance, one of the, the what do they call those guys? those people
2: uh <laughs> oh, in, an empath or something. Psych. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, hey, empath.
1: Yeah, the old guy. He uh he I remember him as the uh principal, I believe, in Porky's, who laughs his ass <laughs> off at the Beulah ball breaker because she grabs a penis. Yeah, in the shower scene, and he thinks it's one of the funniest things that uh, we've
2: we've all been there. We've all been there. Yeah, <laughs> I was there just last night. <laughs> just <laughs> the other day, the old glory hole.
1: I don't know about you, but in today's era, Beulah ball, Ballbreaker would be arrested for uh, sexual harassment and assault.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, but, I think almost everybody in that movie probably would be. Yeah. yeah. So, Back then, it was just entertainment. <laughs> yeah. Back then it was it was all good fun. Yeah. <laughs> Oh,
1: how times have changed. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, so this film has uh, got a bit of a reputation. Martin Scorsese at one point called it the scariest movie ever made. Uh, or one of the scariest movies ever made, I think he said. Uh, again, another uh, uh, Canadian tax shelter film. I believe the, uh, uh, well, this one was shot in British Columbia, I believe, up in uh, the Vancouver area. So um, we'll get into this one here a little bit. Uh, I guess I can lead on this one. And do my so let's see if I can get some George C. Scott impersonations in here um, maybe <laughs> well so one of the things I love about George C. Scott. we've talked about him before uh one of the things I love about him is he's one of these guys first of all, I think he's a great natural actor. I'm just gonna say yes. that out loud. I think he's one of these guys. I could sit and watch uh read a book, and I'd probably be entertained by the way he moves his eyebrows and the way he talks and the way he just kind of.
2: Oh his face does everything yeah yeah even before you get to him talking oh he's one of the great guys. he's one of the great sires
1: you know when I say that one of the great people who can just take a breath and be like you know just yep. he's just frustrated you know and yeah he's one yeah. of the great and some people can just do that shit you don't you can't explain it in movies you really can't
2: I mean well he's also he's also one of these guys who it's like guys like him. Uh, Warren Oates, Lee Marvin, who I'm always thinking to myself in the back of my head, whenever I watch them, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I always find it really interesting that these guys, like, if you met these guys, you might not necessarily think that their goal in life was to play dress up and pretend. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 But like that would be the last thing that you would imagine these guys doing. Yeah. <laughs> If you met them in real life, and yet they are so good uh, at, at at their craft, it's not even funny.
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, like, you know, acting is a – so I think that the, one of the things about acting, it's it's a fool's game in a lot of ways, right? I, mean, I think some people are lucky enough that they pursue it, they have the look, and they, they become popular and super successful, and, and it's there from the get-go. And then some people like Lee Marvin, George C Scott, maybe not George C Scott, I don't know about his past. I think he was a trained actor though, but I know these I'm guys I'm pretty sure yeah. Yeah, these guys uh you know, they just kind of fall into things sometimes. Uh, Lee Marvin in particular, I, he's a great example of what you gave. I mean, there, there's no explaining the charisma Lee Marvin had. Uh, you you can't explain that. It just it, he had it and that's it. Steve McQueen, that that uh, I always think of Steve McQueen because I've said this a thousand times on the show and I've ever I've heard audio interviews with Steve McQueen, he sounds like a goober. He sounds like, a, yeah. <laughs> he just sounds like, a you know, the kind of guy that I probably wouldn't hang out with.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know,
1: and just kind of like, you know, he didn't sound very interesting, but you put a put him in front of a camera and let him just kind of react to things going on around him and there's something magical there. It doesn't make any sense, but it's, yeah. it's just there.
2: Well, uh, and it's also then, like we were saying, you know, you and I, I believe off the air a little bit there was that, you know, it's sort of that, that type of quality that we don't really see anymore, right? They don't allow fellas like this to be leads in films.
1: They don't they don't yeah they, these guys aren't film. i mean you get it every now and then with like a coen brothers film like when you know fargo came out and you had william h macy and i thought well that's a brave choice you know william h macy's not exactly a matinee idol mm-hmm. and uh then you, you still see it every now and then sometimes maybe in smaller films but certainly here
2: not there films. and then yeah in like the smaller action sort of movies you would see it I yeah
1: think. yeah yeah you definitely don't see it in the big films anymore they no, they they have to have a sellable face and they have to have names that and
2: everybody has to be over. 20 years old. Yeah. yeah. I yeah, get it. Yeah, I yeah. get
1: it. Or at least look like they're 20 years old even though they're probably like 42. So
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like Chris Evans or something. <laughs> I don't know how old Chris Evans is at this point, but uh man, he still looks young. Uh anyway, let's get into it here a little bit. So Peter Medic, uh he's directed a few things over the years. Yeah. Uh and he's a he's a solid filmmaker. Uh, he's 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 not like he, you know, Came out of nowhere. I mean, he made the species movies, but he also made uh the ruling class. the Gabe Blade. Oh. Yeah, yeah, Zorro the gay Blade. Yeah, I love that film. So hey, I'm I'm with you, man. I'm with you uh sporting chance uh like i said the rules of the game zoro the gay blade i do enjoy zoro the gay blade quite a bit i don't know
2: <laughs> i haven't watched i don't think i've seen that one since it came out that'd be fun to but be. i remember i remember liking it back in the day yeah, we should we should review that that would be fun to talk about <laughs> yeah, it probably would be
1: there's a there, he did a breakdancing movie a tv movie called breaking through which i think has some uh, uh I, I can't remember who was in it but uh oh michael de lorenzo was in it yeah so he did a breakdancing movie so you check that out if you get a chance, the Peter Medeck mm-hmm. breakdancing film. Hey, man, we all got to pay our
2: bills. With Ben Vereen yet.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, he also did The Craze. He did uh, Romeo is Bleeding, Pontiac Moon. Like I said, Species and Species 2. I think he did both of those.
2: I oh, maybe he, just think did he only did the second one. Yeah,
1: he did the second one. But I, I like the first one more than the second one. The second one's not great.
2: I don't think I've seen the second one. Well, I oh. might have seen the second one. Yeah. I don't remember.
1: I need to see his film A Day in the Death of Joe Egg. What a great title. Uh, I'm trying to see who's in this Joe Egg movie. Anyway, neither here nor there.
2: Alan Uh, Bates and Janet Sussman.
1: Oh, nice. Nice, Alan Bates. Anyway, uh, so this is basically an opportunity to kind of make a ghost movie. Now, obviously, at this point uh, in the 70s, you've had The Exorcist, so a lot of people are kind of jumping on that bandwagon and that train and and trying to, you know, get a little, you know, trying to gleam a little bit of The Exorcist Dollars. And uh get and there's a little bit of that here, no doubt, right? I mean, uh, there's definitely some of that going on. I think uh, you know, Cast and George C. Scott is interesting. Like I said, he had an interesting career uh in the late seventies, early eighties where he was being billed as a lead. Uh basically a lot of it off of his uh very well known performances Patton. Um yeah. which, you know, he rode that train as long as he could. Yeah.
2: Uh well it gave us the new centurions, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. no. He I mean, Look, I mean, they're talking about a career where there's a uh, more than a handful of great performances. In oh, God, yeah. I mean, uh, even when uh, the movies are <clears throat> questionable, which, mm-hmm. you know, like Exorcist 3, some people say is questionable. But he's great in that
2: movie. Yeah, Firestarter.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's he's always really good. That's the thing about George C. Scott. He was one of those guys who it didn't matter what kind of movie he was in. He was going to give you George C. Scott. <laughs> he was going to mm-hmm. give you. He was going to give it his all. And I've also I've often said this over the years, but uh, he is my Ebenezer Scrooge. Like he is the Christmas Carol movie that I watch. Uh, a lot of people like the original. A lot of people like a, there's a you know of course there's a hundred different versions of that. But whenever I think of Ebenezer Scrooge, the first person I think of is George C. Scott because he embodies Scrooge to me. Uh, be it his cantankerous nature or whatever you want to call it but he he just has it and me and Todd were actually talking about it i think before we started recording here or uh, maybe we talked about it while we were still recording i can't remember but we talked about how George C Scott has basically played an old man since like 1970 <laughs> <laughs> even though like i said i think he was he was only 71 when he died so when he made this movie he was only 51 years old 50 years old yeah uh i'm 45 I got to tell you, <laughs> I'm nowhere near the cragginess of Mr. George C. Scott yet. Uh, at least I, I'd like to believe I'm not. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, but I, you know, I think you know he he did hardcore before this, which I think is one of the great performances, by the way. Uh, even with the fake mustache, mm-hmm. um, and the wig, <laughs> which is still one of the great moments uh, in cinema history, um. Uh, he's he's great I mean I just I can I can name a ton of movies he's great in obviously uh uh Patton and then of course Strange uh, Love Yeah, The Hustler, Strange yep. Love. I mean, just it goes on and on and on. His his uh, his yeah. performance in 12 Angry Men, the TV movie is amazing. Yeah. I mean, he's he's just one of those guys. You you just you, you don't you don't understand it, but he just has it. He has that thing.
2: He does. So. And speaking of and uh, speaking of wigs, by the way, I love his hair in this one. <laughs> I mean, what a fucking mane yeah, that he's got going on. And I say that as a bald man.
1: Yeah, and I, so I, I love I love his sweater collection in this. Yeah, right. It's strong his sweater it's vest. Very strong. <laughs> sweaty, as the English would say, is a nice jumper collection. <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I never thought. Uh you know, when you think of George C. Scott, I never ever ever think of him as the kind of guy who wears jeans. <laughs> yeah. And he's wearing them in this. And I was like fucking blowing my mind. Yeah.
1: There's that and also the fact that he's cuffing those jeans. Yeah. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> he was hip before it was hip, bro. <laughs> ah, where's these fucking jeans?
0: <laughs> I'm cuff the bottoms on these jeans.
1: <laughs> button fly, what the fuck? <laughs> Smart, what's with the sweater vest? he's oh man there's no joy there's nobody like george c scott <laughs> i often believe you know he died of a uh abdominal aneurysm that burst which is a very unfortunate way to go um but i often wonder if he'd have had a heart attack anyway in time because his acting was always so intense
2: yeah 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 so,
1: anyway let's get back to the movie so the movie basically opens uh snowy road uh Phone booth in the middle of fucking nowhere. And when I when I and when I say phone booth in the middle of fucking nowhere, you give me an you give me a better example off the top of your head of a phone booth in the middle of fucking nowhere than this movie.
2: <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, it's it's slightly isolated. He, he's like, I'm gonna go use the phone. I'm like, What what the fuck? Where's the phone? Yeah, yeah they're pushing the car, push the car he's like, Okay, a couple more feet, now stop. <laughs> yeah. Like, and He goes. Oh. He, he just wanders across the street to the fucking this just phone <laughs> <Fombo> sitting there. know, <laughs> it's like what the hell.
1: Uh, so it's very odd, but of course, obviously, it's just set up for what is a, truly a tragedy for the uh, yeah. George C. Scott character yeah. and uh, some stu- you know some tough stuff. And I have to wonder sometimes watching this film if that's not some of the stuff that uh, that uh, Scorsese was talking about because I think the true horribleness or the true horror of this movie is the the grief of losing a child yes
2: uh, well that it is and it's it's a pretty intense opening right
1: yeah, yeah and this movie to me is all about grief yeah oh my god yeah this is all about the ghost that we live with uh, if we continue on and we've lost somebody that we truly cherish mm-hmm. uh george C. scott's not, this is not a plot giveaway but uh he loses his wife and his uh, daughter in an accident a terrible 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 accident
2: yeah, and they show
1: it to you too. Yeah, they do, and uh, he has to live with that. And it, and in the, in the story of the film, I think it's only like four or five, maybe six months after the accident that he moves into this, which is I got to say, ridiculous mansion that he's going to go. He's go. <laughs> from, he's going to go from. Uh, he needs a place where he can work. I was like, I don't know if you need uh, <laughs> three floors and uh, you know twenty five bedrooms to do that, but uh, yeah, obviously he does. But this is one of those situations where they, I think they had a great house they could shoot the film in. And, uh, you know, it looked great. And I think they, you know, obviously, I guess they burned the house down. Maybe they built it for the sh- movie. I don't know. Um, but uh, obviously, they just had this great set, and they could kind of build the film around that the, that house. And I think that's, a, that's very important to the movie. The house is a character, essentially, mm-hmm. because it has to be. It, it really does have to be a, a character for the movie because a lot of what's going to take place is going to depend on if you can buy – everything taking care of taking this house so the the real life haunted house uh, t- uh so this was uh oh, maybe this isn't maybe no that the, the, so evidently this is based on a quote-unquote real story yeah supposedly some den haunted house in denver colorado so this isn't that house so i would assume that they they built that house because uh as far as i know they burnt the house down so
2: uh I don't, I don't, you know, the, the funny thing is I just read an interview with me about this film and I cannot remember whether or not they bring it up at all about the house. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah anyway, um, kind of get, uh, into it a little bit more, but yeah. So the film is basically about grief and, uh, him trying to kind of get away from things. I think that, um, I was watching a episode of star Trek discovery recently and I thought, uh, there, the season two and there was a, a great moment, where somebody brought up uh you know something about grief where they needed to get away because everywhere they look they see that person and i think that a lot of people do that i think if they lose a child you know marriages fall apart because i think you know nothing's ever the same uh you build your lives around these things and you know when when you lose something like that you're completely gutted and it takes a lot of strength to get past that to stay in a house or something that would remind you and there's some great moments of solitude where he's, he walks in the his old house and he looks at the ball and he thinks about his daughter bouncing the ball to him. and It's just yeah. real heartbreaking shit, right? I mean, it's just, yeah. that's tough stuff and I can well, understand I think, why he'd want to get away.
2: Yeah, yeah. The, well, and, you know, and speaking of the ball, I mean, obviously it's one of the two big uh, visual symbols that we get in the film that are, you know, everybody always talks about when they talk about the film or that, that know of This film from those two things is this in the the wheelchair, Uh, but the ball you know it's really it's really kind of brilliant. Such an innocuous object they use, uh, and you know, Medak uses it to you know uh, look at you know grief and terror. Uh, in equal measure, he, yep. he used it to you know it's it's both of those things at the uh-huh. same time. Yep. The wheelchair a little bit lit, a little bit different because there's a scene with the uh, the wheelchair that aside from its size um doesn't really do a hell of a lot. There's a scene later on in the film that doesn't quite work for me with the wheelchair and Miss Van um Oh yeah 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 yeah. That's you a, know it, it didn't it, that didn't quite that's a true do horror. it for me. I thought horror it was a little movie too, moment, yeah. uh, for for what the rest of the film is. It doesn't it's a little too on the nose.
1: Yeah. 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 I agree with you. That's more of a horror movie moment where I think, the, yeah, yeah. I agree with you. The ball is a symbol of grief and it's a symbol of moving on.
2: And it's quiet and it just kind of appears yeah. mysteriously. It, yeah. it doesn't, you know, it's just a ball, but it's not just a ball. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, I think one of the things you love, about well, one of the things you love about balls, mm. but one of the things, you know, don't get me started. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I love, about. don't get me
3: started. <laughs>
1: one of the things oh, the uh that I love about the ball is is that uh not only at one point is it a symbol of his grief and a symbol of his mem- memory and and maybe mm-hmm. his misery too I actually almost said misery but but the the fact that at some point he tries to move on from the ball from he it's like he's going to close this chapter of his life uh-huh and yet the ball just you know the, <laughs> we're not having it you know uh, yep. it's just it, it, it's interesting to me because it, uh, you know metaphorically He's not moved on, and uh, that's I think, well, again, is how the movie is trying to be played up right. to a point, up into the, like, I, I agree with you, the wheelchair moment. Once the wheelchair yeah. moment comes, it's it's obviously full-on supernatural at that point. Hey, not that it wasn't before, but it's just that I feel like a lot of it could have been played the other way, which is did the whole thing take place in his head up until the seance and the wheelchair, really?
2: Yeah. Well, that I also think is, you know, talking about metaphors, you know, the the reason for the giant house, right? Yep. I think it's, you know, it's a metaphor for, you know, this the Scott's character to explore his grief. Yeah. Uh as well as this mystery that he starts to get into uh with the ghost. Yep, yep. You know, he's kind of it's it's almost like, you know, the house is like his head. He's he's kind of wandering through it. He's going through different rooms. He find, you know, so he he kind of just finds his way through this thing. Yep.
1: Uh, and I think, you know, it's funny watching this movie recently, I don't think there's a lot, but there is some similarity between this and, uh, hereditary. Uh, at least I got some sense of, because hereditary is also about guilt, right? And about, uh, grief Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, you feel a little bit of that in hereditary as well. So I have to believe that Ari Aster, uh, is very aware of the changeling i have to believe uh
2: yeah that and the haunting yeah yeah yeah, and and most of roman polanski's early work yes yes yes
1: uh the only difference being yeah there's there's a taste of rosemary's baby or maybe witchcraft obviously in hereditary but Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm. not
1: um not here this isn't about that at all but definitely the grief part you can feel that throughout the movie people making ill decisions based on grief all that kind of stuff guilt things like that i mean scott probably feels guilty because they pushed the car off at that particular moment to go over use the phone, the isolated phone. <laughs> it's all these things. So, um, his over his when he, ever he's over the top, it's always a joy to behold. Uh, he doesn't really go full tilt, George. He's got too often in this. He does a little bit, but not, no, he not, keeps it mostly under wraps. Yeah, He keeps it kind of quiet. He, he's like I said, he, he really is pretty subdued and obviously living through his grief. I think there's a great moment where, He's uh, laying in bed crying uh, because I think that's, that's the reality of grief. I think there's a long period of, you know, you think you're doing well. And then sometimes the emotion can come back and hit you months, if not years later, uh, from the pure shock that you've went through and the loss you've had. Uh, I remember when I lost my father, I didn't get along with my father at all. And I was a bit shocked when I lost him. He was only 49 when he died. And I was a bit shocked when I lost him, but I wasn't emotional at all i was like know, oh, this is kind of weird i thought you're supposed to cry when you lose a parent and mm-hmm. stuff like that and then about four or five months later it just kind of hit me mm-hmm. out of nowhere that kind of burden that kind of heavy guilt you know it just kind of hit it kind of hit me and uh it was pretty brutal uh to the point where i couldn't work i couldn't do anything for about a week it just was it was tough and uh it's unexplainable it's a human condition you can't really explain it so it you know it i, I like that moment i like that moment a lot uh the reason why I bring that up is I've seen some criticism that, they, that some people have said that's, you know, Scott doing his overacting thing. I don't think
2: so. I think Oh, no, I don't think so at all.
1: I think uh, pure grief and pure heartbreak. I think none of us could say that uh, when we have a really good cry like that, that any of us are putting on our prettiest face. And George C. Scott already doesn't have the prettiest face. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, I mean. He's got that great nose, you know? Yep. It's just a shame that the Cohen brothers never got to work with George C. Scott. It's all a will yeah, It really is. <laughs> it really is. It's one of those forgot or just lost, uh, you know, hopes, you know, that it never could have happened. I can imagine that he would have been amazing in Cohen brother movies. Like they would have probably recast him over and over again.
2: <laughs> he would have been their, uh, their Emmett Walsh.
1: Yeah. So there's a lot of great moments in the film. I think the film, I think one of the things I remember most from this movie, the times I saw it when I was younger was the score and the music and the way the music plays and George C. Scott does a really good job. I don't know if he's a trained pianist or not, but he does a really good job of looking like a trained pianist.
2: Uh, I believe he just practiced to uh, to get that uh, to get does, that look going. Yeah, he does a really good job. It's not easy to oh, do. Yeah.
1: I mean, I bought it uh, to the point to where I Googled it. I was like, hey, you know, does George C. Scott play piano? <laughs> but uh, no, he does. A, he does a good job uh, being this kind of music uh, theorist. I guess basically a professor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the f- music in the film. I think it's very subtle. I think it, it works well. well. I think the atmosphere of the house with the music helps completely.
2: Well, yeah, Ken uh, Wanberg did the score, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it's great. I think it's you know eerie and melancholy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, but then it kinda ramps up a little bit when it needs to. It's you know, it's it's really just, you know, very well suited to the uh the tone of the film and you know works very well with each scene as they it progresses. Yeah, it doesn't it never goes it does what a, it does what a good score should do.
1: Yeah, it never goes over the top, right? Like yeah, it never yeah. goes, you know, full blown over the top. Oh man, I just saw that Giancarlo Esposito is an extra in this film. Uh, good but Lord. I didn't see him anywhere. I mean I don't have to go back and look at that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't remember him at all.
1: <laughs> uh interesting. Must be a very early uh, extra role for him. Um, but, you yeah, know, the the score is really solid. And there are, let's just be honest, uh, there are, the, well, the, for me, there is one truly disturbing scene in this movie. Uh, and that's because I'm a dad. Okay. Mm-hmm. But now that might not be as disturbing for some. Now I'm not saying that because people are callous or anything like that. But there is a scene in here that i gotta say that when i saw it when i was young i didn't think it was that big a deal but this time around
3: <laughs>
2: i was like fuck
1: man who does that shit and if
2: this uh, is if this is the uh the flashback scene yeah it's the flashback scene okay yeah uh i thought that you know it felt very argento-esque oh it did it did like <laughs> heavy
1: it did it totally did it totally did. The only thing that was missing was like a doll in the corner or something.
2: Yeah, right. That's exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, where's the little fucked up doll that like, you know. Yeah.
1: yeah. And for the record, it is a shame I couldn't review Phenomena with you guys. Anything with <laughs> anything with a chimp in it. Uh, I
2: know, know right? <laughs> Thank you That's guys. a fucking, that's, that's a, just a, that's a sin. <laughs> it is a sin.
1: <laughs> I have to be in for the chimp reviews. But uh, no, this is a very disturbing scene. I guess if the, for me, if there's any fallback to the changeling, uh, for me, the movie is a bit plotting at times, and I don't love, and I and I, I really hate to say this because sometimes I buy this, sometimes I don't, but I didn't really buy the amateur sleuthness.
2: Yes, of our okay. leads,
1: of our leads in this as much, and yeah, it, it kind of it got to a point where it was like, okay, come on. You guys are getting really hardcore into it and stuff, you know, call somebody or something because I have a hard time believing you guys are figuring this out.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it it becomes a slightly different film once the senator becomes an active character in it. Yes, yes, it does. It becomes more of a mystery, like a procedural kind of thing. And, yeah, at that point for me, it starts to lose steam.
1: It does. It does. I agree. It does. And I think at that point, you know, once he confronts the senator and –
2: exactly we have this it stuff. just all it just also. it just starts to become it just is it completely away from uh what you think it's supposed to be yeah
1: well it gets away from the grief i think it gets away from well yeah all the all the things that george c scott's working through at that point it becomes a thriller it doesn't become a film about a man who's lost his wife and child and right. i think for the first you know hour it's a movie about grief
2: and Although I'm sure I'm sure uh guys like meadec would argue that that is how he's he's working his way through it, right? Sure, sure. I, I
1: and I and I could even sit here and we could talk about that and I'm sure.
2: And it's and it's a legit it's a legit excuse. Yeah. It just doesn't quite work here in the film.
1: It doesn't. It doesn't. And that's what I didn't recall on this rewatch. That was what I was kind of surprised by. I was surprised about how much like the last third, or maybe close oh, to last? Oh, it's have. at least. It was like a murder mystery. Yeah, than it, more than it is uh, the movie about grief because I remembered it being more about the grief. But I guess that w- I would have because that's where the to me that's where the power of the movie is. The power of the movie is all in George C. Scott dealing with these demons, be they real or demons in his head, and living this kind of solitary lifestyle and trying to get past these things. It should be said the film is very well shot. It looks great. Uh, I think there's some great composition in some of the shots. There's a great scene on that balcony that's in that uh, the middle of that road. And uh, it's great. They're like up on that balcony and then they're shooting, and you can see the roads on each side. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. it's, in, it's in this median. It's really nice. And there's some other great shots. And I think the film is well cast. There's a lot of character actors, a lot of people you probably have seen in other films. Uh, outside of uh, George C. Scott and Chris Vanderveer, Trish Vanderveer there's not really any. Big big names. I mean, there's a lot of, like I said, character actors. I guess Melvin Douglas is a pretty big name, but at least he was at one point. But of course, you see him, you'll know who he is. You've seen him in probably quite a few things in your day. Uh, he did. He did a lot of stuff. So he yep. actually did Ghost Story as well. I remember him in Ghost Story as well. So it's kind of funny. Yep. yep. These two, those two films, this film and Ghost Story are two films. I kind of, I kind of group together sometimes. I think just because. It was at a time when I was watching horror movies. You know, I've on my own. I had watched horror movies with my parents up until about you know probably the late seventies, early eighties. They would let me watch them with them because I was I was actually one of those kids that was terrified of horror films when I was little. Uh, To the point to where you know seeing something like the Elephant Man, which isn't a horror movie, but that scared the shit out of me. I couldn't sleep for ages, and then seeing. Stuff it's so fucked up to think about my parents and me sitting down to watch the Elephant Man. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, what a different childhood I had compared to what my son's having. And then um uh, you know stuff like I so saw I saw The Shining. You know a year after it came out, and I saw you know because we were very early VCR adopters and and very early with cable television, so I saw these films close to their theatrical run. And some of these things really fucking traumatized me, such as American Werewolf in London, The Shining elephant man these films Exorcist, traumatized me quite a bit uh these films really kind of bit into me but by the time 81 82 rolls around 1980 probably right 80 roughly i'm starting to get to be you know eight nine years old i'm starting to want to like my son i'm starting to get a little bit of independence right i'm starting to want to kind of branch out in my own thing a little bit so my mom and dad hated horror films they would watch these films with me because i would ask them to but they hated horror films uh well my mom didn't but my dad certainly did and uh so i would be like well fuck it then every time we go to the video store i'm renting fucking horror movies that's all i'm getting is horror movies. <laughs> and i became a total horror nut from like 1980 and well into the late 80s right um my dad would watch action movies and stuff with me but he didn't really watch much he was more of a comedy kind of guy i don't know that's very odd my dad was such a dark person yeah maybe that's why maybe that's why he liked comedy so much because he was always so fucking miserable but anyway mm-hmm possibly it is you know it's possible you know you you kind of i guess my life was pretty good i guess because i always liked the horrible stuff i mean i've heard i've heard stories and i've read psychology things about it over the years that sometimes when you're attracted to dark things it's because you feel safety in your life and i would right. argue that i did not but I, I i was always attracted to dark things so anyway it's neither here nor there a little sammy biography action there no chimpanzees back then that didn't come till much later damn it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no chimpanzees with disposable razors in the house. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, so that so that's my thoughts on change. Like, I, I I agree the movie does have. I can see in 1980 how this movie would be scary, but I think that again, I think the real fear of this movie is in loss and in that truly terrible moment because what what transpires in the beginning of this movie really had my brain working on what would I do? I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, my whole life would be over. For all intents and purposes, everything that I love would be gone. I would not have any interest in anything. Uh, I would have to change who I am, what I am. And I feel like George C. Scott, we're seeing him starting to go through that. Obviously, he still has his work, but it seems like everything else that he once was is gone now. And I think that's some of the most powerful acting in the movie. Some of the most powerful acting in the movie is just those quiet moments where he's sitting there and just kind of thinking back. And even if you don't get a flashback, I think a lot of it is worn on his face. And again, that, that comes down to the fact that George C. Scott is, really was one of the great American actors. I mean, he really was. I mean, I'd put him up there with... Shit, man. I'd put him up there with some of the greatest of all time. I mean, he really was that fucking good. And there's there's no explaining uh, why outside of the fact that he was just a natural talent that was unbelievable. I can never see him as the as the 50-year-old action star. I can never see him as the Charles Bronson or the Liam Neeson or the Lee Marvin or anything like that. But I, I think he, the other side of that coin, he was always the very strong leading man, very serious actor, but was able to do more with a look or a lot with a look that uh, was kind of unexplainable. That, you know, he didn't have like that Henry Fonda. I always think of Henry Fonda because First of all, your your photo is up on my computer the whole time. We <laughs> talk of uh, Henry Fonda from Once Upon a Time in the West, but I always think of that story of Henry Fonda from that Once Upon the Time in the West thing that he was cast, and Leone's like, you know, I'm going to make you the bad guy, and he's like, you know, should I wear contacts or something? And he's like, no. The, the point is, you have these beautiful blue eyes, and I want to focus on those beautiful blue eyes. And yep. the whole that whole movie, right? Once Upon a Time in the West, which we've never reviewed on the show. That whole movie is about faces. Yep. Oh, like oh my a, God. Yeah. Like a lot of Leone's work, is everything's in the face. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those blue eyes, because blue is such a soothing color, the fact that Fond is such a bad person in that movie makes those blue eyes that much more powerful. And I just think of Scott, you know, the way he just raises that one eyebrow. He's got that look where that one eyebrow always kind of jumps up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that furrowed brow is just, it's an amazing piece of acting that you can't teach that. that you, you either have that or you don't. And he had it. So that's my thoughts on the changeling. I'll give it over to you, man.
2: All right. So yeah, like we said, uh, the opening, it starts off with, um, obviously, like I said, pretty intense opening. It has a great use of sound that carries through the rest of the film. Right. Yep. Um, And I think that the film that this owes the most to is the haunting. Yep. Um Which is also the, we the, the Robert Wise yeah. version, we not sh- the J. Harlan, him. I think it was. Yeah. Oh,
1: no, it's uh, it was Jan debont I think, wasn't
2: it? Oh, was it Jan debont Okay.
1: Yeah, who didn't make very many films. I was actually looking it's funny that this came up. I was actually looking into Jan debont the other day. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Whatever happened to Jan debont But he just he's kinda like disappeared. Like he made the haunting, I think. I think he made Speed and right speed two. Mm-hmm. And then uh I think that might have been it, and Twister. And that was it. He just went away
2: so good uh, lord
1: what happened um another fun name to say yeah yeah right but i think that uh you bring up the haunting with the robert wise picture i think that uh that's also on scorsese's uh back at the time top 11 scariest movies ever made
2: oh i don't doubt that at all yeah uh and i and i think it should be i think the haunting is a great film um but, you know, it goes back to the whole thing of, you know, there's the uh, the old lady who says to George C. Scott, you know, the house doesn't want people, but that's exactly what it does want, right? Um, and, you know, the film plays its haunting as at least, you know, quasi-malevolent to begin with, when it's, it's probably far more accurate to what we think of when we think of hauntings, which would be unfinished business. Yes. Uh, and that's how I can kind of excuse... The part where he becomes more sleuth-like, uh, because it's for a purpose. But at the same time, it doesn't really excuse how it decelerates the film, uh, um, and, and you know, kind of takes away. Like we've been saying, from what its its focus really should have been, uh, more of up through the ending. Um, I think it does. The film does a marvelous job building its story. Uh, it takes its time for the most part. Uh, it's well paced and compelling. Um, there's a great seance scene, kind of like the one in the Manitou for a little call back there. Uh, you know, and I think that that scene is just fantastic. Um, what is it about seance scenes that that they always seem to be like the standouts, uh, in, in films like these, you know, Yeah, Yeah, um, and you know, with that uh, that automatic writing that the woman's doing so, as she's going through that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that's crazy. Th- I like that. But uh, what I want to say, I'm sorry I have to chime in and break you up a little bit, but I wanna say one of the funny scary the funniest scariest things about the uh seance scene to me is the after effect, that real to real moment.
2: Yeah, that, exact that, th- that th- that's spooky. My exact man. Note. It's that yeah. great moment afterward when Scott drops his cigarette.
1: Yeah, that's some spooky shit there, man.
2: Yeah, right. Yep. Dude, that fucking worked for me in spades. Yeah. Um
1: So we should say let me let me get these out here real quick since I keep bringing it up. But here's Scorsese's top eleven. Let's go ahead and just throw these out there real quick, okay? Sure. Okay. We'll go we'll go ten to one. At least in the okay. at, least, at least the way I'm reading it. Uh Psycho. Uh eleven to okay. one. We'll we'll go, not ten to one. <laughs> Psycho, the innocence, uh Night of the Demon, uh The Exorcist, The Shining, The Changeling. That's right there in the middle. Dead of Night. That's okay. an, that's an interesting one there. Uh, the Entity, which I
2: believe is that thats it? the Barbara Hershey one.
1: Yeah, I think he loves that movie. Really? Uh, the maybe not. I'm gonna check that. The Uninvited, uh, okay. the Isle of the Dead. That'd be the
2: the uh, the Milan uh, or not? Uh, no, what the hell was his name? Uh, Lewis, uh, that's
1: a Lewis Allen film. Uh, that's from 1944. A lot of his, a lot of his, yeah. are, you know, from 40s and 50s and 60s. So obviously they would be. Because I think horror films have more of an effect on you when you're young, right? Owl uh, <laughs> of the Dead, the Val Luton film, and then The Haunting is number one. I'm going to look up see. I'm going to check on the entity here. He is a big proponent of the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the Barbara Hershey one. He is a big proponent of that film. Huh. Which, you know, take it or leave it. I don't know if we reviewed it or not. I feel like we did.
2: Uh, I don't... If it was, it wasn't with me because I've never seen it. Yeah. Oh, it's fucked up. <laughs> oh, I don't doubt that. It's fucked up. You need to check it out. <laughs> I've seen enough scenes to... Uh, yeah. <laughs> and You know the ones I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, I do. Uh, <laughs> I love me some Barbara Hershey, <laughs> let me tell you something.
1: That Hershey Highway.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh. laughs> hey. That's Sluice Gate. <laughs> no, uh,
1: sorry, I didn't mean to derail you. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> that's, that's perfectly all right. I'm, che- um, I'm going
1: to check and see now if we review the entity. I feel like we have.
2: I feel like you have too but like i said it ain't spring into my head um you know and then meet of course being a, a professional uh uses a point of view camera to transition us between the spirit and physical worlds uh very well you know every time that he uh he shows it you know where you're going with it you're kind of like going in between uh going in between those two places um the I mean, I really don't have too much else to, to offer. I think we've pretty much covered a vast majority of of, uh, of what this film really does and how it does it and how well it does it. Uh, the big finale then happens. And, you know, for me, I, I thought that it goes a little bit too big. Um, but it also ultimately resolves quite nicely. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, it, this is one of those films where, you know, as the... The end titles are rolling. You're sitting there thinking to yourself, you know, how the hell would you explain this to the cops in any way that you wouldn't, you know, be <laughs> yeah. doing time or paying massive <laughs> fucking fines? Yeah. Right? Yeah, like These these yeah. films always end and, and they're like, oh, well, you know, the threat's over. Well, the threat ain't over because <laughs> guess what? You still got to deal with the insurance guy. You still got to deal with the fucking <laughs> yeah. the popo. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, as an adult. And, and this is and this is obviously the perspective of a 45-year-old man, right? <laughs> yeah, this, so, yeah, this is, this, <laughs> is a, this is
1: our adult perspective. I agree, yes. <laughs> yes, I agree.
2: Oh, my thoughts too, man. Is my my, thought,
1: be... my thoughts are too. It's like like, "Man, you lost a really nice reel-to-reel recorder and a nice piano."
2: <laughs> yeah, right? What the fuck? I
1: hope your insurance so, claims that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I didn't that final that final moment um with the box uh, might be a bit of a misstep. Um, and at this at this film actually, I think, you know, yeah, I think it does make uh, plenty of missteps in its second half as yeah. we've been kind of,
1: yeah, I'm not a fan of the uh, music box.
2: Yeah. Right. I mean, it, it makes sense when it first comes up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, 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 but then, another but then the way, way that it is, gentle moment. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but then the way that it's referred back to, Uh, you know, kind of more than, more than it should have been, I think, uh, just didn't quite work for me. Um, but that's the, that's the thing about this film is, you know, I don't think it's up there with something like The Haunting. I think that, you know, I love Scorsese. I love listening to anything that he has to say. Do I think that this is a top 10, uh, you know, ghost film or even horror film? No. Um, it's a good one. Uh, but you know, is it, you know, top of the top of the list no no i don't think so um yeah that that's that's about all i really got to say to to add in on that one
1: i may have covered the entity with the projection booth guys back in the day
2: oh okay
1: oh man my dogs are up that must be my kids are getting Uh-oh. up i hear i heard the pitter patter of claws <laughs> <laughs> bulldog claws
2: maybe that's george c scott walking around with that shoes on yeah.
1: <laughs> my, my bulldogs actually look like george c scott a little bit <laughs>
2: all right, <laughs> right where's
1: breakfast <laughs> uh, uh, i want waffles i think i did cover it with those guys man i really gotta go back and look at man i've done so much stuff it's crazy if you do a google search and look online at some of the stuff we've done over the years and i just like man but I see it says Mike and Mondo Justin get back in the ring with the Samurai from the GGTMC. That might have been actually, I might not have covered it with them. I might have just got back into when before Mike and uh, Mondo kind of went their separate ways. I kind of got into, uh, I think I did two parts on the last action hero, <laughs> which they totally disagreed on. And I was kind of the guy in the middle. <laughs> and I came back for a sequel of that. I miss Mike. I haven't talked to Mike in a long time. Oh, well. Hope he's doing well. I haven't listened to a show in a while, either. I haven't listened to much <laughs> podcasts in a while, though. <laughs> uh, been mostly listening to audiobooks lately, because I just, I don't know. It is what it is. Anyway, so that's everything you got as well?
2: Uh, yeah, pretty much.
1: That's perfect timing, because like I said, I hear the pitter-patter of feets. Pause. Uh, okay, so I'm going to make or break. Uh, mm. Well, it's either the seance scene or the ball scene. I mean, uh, that sounds graphic but it's uh, it's one or the other but i i i I do like the seance scene a lot but i I think i like the thing with the ball more but the thing the the difference is though the seance scene can be it kind of goes against the make or break moment really in a way because the seance scene is is all in one moment so that makes more sense as a make or break but the ball scene kind of cuts to a couple different moments which by the way nobody stops on a bridge and puts their hazard lights on on a main highway i mean maybe they did in 1978 79 but you do that nowadays you're gonna get killed oh yeah (laughs) jesus i remember thinking he just pulls over you know no but no big deal anyway um uh i'm gonna go with the ball scene though because i kind of like that i know it's a couple scenes meshed together but it's a nice little sequence if that makes sense uh Mm -hmm. and honestly i'd be if that was me at that moment i'd be yep i'm moving (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm out of here <laughs> gone yikes Woo. i'd be done all right then and there i probably would have been done though honestly if i found the hidden room with the old wheelchair in it and everything in it as well <laughs> i'd probably be like you know what i'm not really a supernatural guy but this is a little too much um <laughs> uh, he really tears the hell out of them bookshelves and stuff too by the way yeah um my MVT, i think i'm gonna give it to Ma- Meda- medak? medak i'm gonna give it to peter medak I like George C. Scott a lot in the movie certainly he's the centerpiece of the movie in a lot of ways but I think Minnick makes a pretty solid film here uh, except for the fact that it turns into a bit more of a thriller than I would like and that's just a personal thing but mm-hmm. um, it's good to know I'm not the only person that thinks that uh, but I, I think it's a very solidly well made movie with a great story and the way it deals with grief is really fantastic and that's that's the stuff uh, so I'll give Medic, uh credit for that uh, my score for the film, 7.5 out of 10. I think it's very solid, uh, but going back and watching it, if you'd have asked me to, to review this off the top of my head, I hadn't seen this in 10-plus years, but if you'd have asked me to review this off the top of my head before I rewatched it, I probably would have been more in the 8 territory because I remember really liking it. But mm-hmm. looking back at it with a critical eye, like I said, the last third or so, just, it really was hard for me to buy a lot of the stuff that was going on at that point, this kind of Sherlock Holmesian kind of behavior. It got a little weird. Yeah. And it, it look, that happens in a lot of movies. Okay, that's not that's not this special to this movie, but I gotta say usually it's handled a little bit more less clumsy than this. <laughs> it mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. felt a little clumsy, but that's my thoughts on the changeling.
2: Alright, cool. Uh, make or Break, you know, Make or Break and here are, you know, pretty much you've already touched on them, but I'm in the exact opposite from you. Uh, make or Break for me is the seance scene, uh, as I indicated before. It's just a, absolutely, it's really involving uh, scene to go through and the way that it builds and intensifies and then that quiet moment afterwards uh, with Scott in the real that just it's it is bone chilling yep. MVT um, uh, is George C Scott uh, I you know he does a, uh, yet another great performance brings gravitas to the role in the movie uh, and really you know he sells it um, and score for me is a little bit lower than you. It's seven out of ten. Okay. Uh, like like we've been saying. I mean, yeah, that the last half of the movie really is where it it stumbles by uh, by losing its focus, or I should say, redirecting, uh, its focus uh, away from the uh, the grief angle more than anything else.
1: Yep. Yep. I agree. All right. So that is the big show. We want to thank Diabolic DVD, as always, uh, for helping us out with the show. These are some uh, pretty great releases. Everything's in HD nowadays. Life is good. Hmm. can all use our fancy tvs and our stuff and hey man physical media forever (laughs) you got that right i do don't don't get me wrong i love my digital media i buy all my music digitally and i have a spotify account so that's only because i had thousands upon thousands of cds i had to get rid of because they were just a nightmare um but some of my physical media i'll never get rid of such as books and stuff which i'm sitting in a room full of all that shit now (laughs) So, that's the podcast room. all The room where everything goes to gather dust. Uh-huh. A stack of like cows. us. Yeah, like us, exactly. I, I belong in this storage room.
3: Yeah. <laughs> it's
1: cozy. Along with all my toys. <laughs> all I need in here now is a bed. I can just wake up and roll over a podcast and a coffee machine. I'd be good to go. Damn uh, straight. I need to look into that. Uh, next week, I don't know what we're doing. Uh, we'll do something. I, I should be on a normal schedule. I'll reach back out to you. And let mm-hmm. you know, we might jump back into the arrow world. I know you still got some arrow stuff, but even some of the stuff you don't have, I'm sure we can just go ahead and review it anyway. Because I'm sure we can find uh, copies of it, or I'm sure you've seen, or who knows? I know I just I'm really tempted to cover. Uh, they just put out a they just sent me a demo disc of Horror Express, the Telly Savalas, Michael, oh. uh, Peter, Peter Cushing, and uh, Christopher Lee film. So yeah, I've been really wanting, I've been really itching to rewatch that. But uh, I might pick something else because they'll get some stuff from way back in the day. I have so much shit to watch, <laughs> and not enough time <laughs> in my day. So who knows? We'll we'll figure it out. So just be thinking uh, about what you want to watch, and uh, we'll get going. Uh, like I said, we'll okay. we'll be gone for the time being for a little while. He's got some stuff going on. Uh, thoughts are with him, obviously, and uh, hopefully everything will work out. This fun. Mm-hmm. Love the guy. We love you. And uh, if you're listening, if you still listen to the show. <laughs> Uh, Will. Uh, I don't know if he does. I know he did for a long time. He, I used to tease him because like, we'd record the show and then he'd listen to the show. <laughs> and I'd be like, man, you didn't get enough of yourself the first time. But, you yeah, right. hey, teach their own. Um, right. But, yeah, that's everything I got. You got anything you want to add to the end here?
2: Um, Nothing I could think of, buddy. Oh, just keep reading
1: comics, people.
2: Keep reading. Co- yeah, please.
1: Keep Come reading on. comics. Come on. Support, support Come the media. Come on. It's one of the great. Go Marvel. Yeah, it's one of the great. What? It's one of the great <laughs> mediums of all time. <laughs> go, you go Marvel, I'll go DC. <laughs> I highly recommend, like Todd said earlier, I highly recommend Mr. Miracle, Maxi Series, yes. and and uh, The Batman Who Laughs. I highly recommend that as well.
2: Uh, that's the Scott Snyder yeah, yeah. deal? Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. highly recommend that one as well. If you want a Batman story that's kind of fun and different, I recommend that
2: one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go.
1: And then uh, there's a lot of other DC things I can recommend off the top of my head, but I, I'm not doing it right now. <laughs> 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 they have relaunched. The
2: Terrifics by Jeff Lemaire.
1: Yeah, they, yeah that's a good one. They uh, that That's a real good one, actually. The uh, They have relaunched their Vertigo line, and uh, there's yeah. some good stuff in there. So that's good because I think Vertigo is really some of the best stuff they ever did was through that Vertigo line. Yes, absolutely. And I'm not talking about just the Sandman, for Christ's sake. Every time I bring that up, (laughs) every time I bring up Vertigo, the first thing somebody says to me is, oh, yeah,
2: man, Sandman? Well, yeah, it's that or (laughs) Swamp Thing is what everybody brings up. It's
1: like, come on, man. There was so much more than just that.
2: There were a couple other titles in there somewhere. (laughs) Scalped was one. Scalped is really good. Scalped, yeah. Scalped Scalped is outstanding.
1: Jason Aaron. Jesus. I will highly recommend that Conan relaunch. Get on that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome but i'm a yeah huge, i'm waiting for the uh, i'm i'm looking i'm i'm itching to see uh, when they do savage sword. Mhm. Yep.
1: I'm a huge Conan guy anyway though. So they yep, probably time. I probably could have put anybody on that and i would have been fine but i'm i'm happy that uh-huh. the people they put on it. I'm very happy.
2: <laughs> yes, and i second that 100%. That's
1: good stuff. So that's been the GGTMC comic cast. Yes. We'll be back next week with some more films. Until then, i will say adios. Adios.
0: Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com.